You're listening to Review and Preview on Facebook Live. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Review and Preview. I'm your host, Tom Scavetta. Join alongside my co-host, Kyle Russo. Kyle, welcome back to the show. It was about uh, two, maybe three weeks we didn't have you, but stoked to have you back tonight. Yeah, happy to be back, Tom. Happy to be back. Um, talk some football, talk some uh, baseball. Looking forward to it. Uh, I know, of course, we're not going to talk about the NBA tonight, but your Miami Heat did fall short in the series to the Los Angeles Lakers, six games. But I just want to tip my cap to you and your team for, quite frankly, defying a lot of odds and uh, making it as far as they did. A lot of people didn't think they would push it past game five, but I had a feeling they would. Uh, I'm very pleased with your team. So there's a bright future down there in South Beach. So you guys have nothing to be ashamed of for sure. Uh, congratulations. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Listen, it, I think it could have been a completely different series. Granted on the fact they forced the game six, you know, not having Drogic basically the entirety of the finals and missing Bamford game two and game three. So it could have totally been a different series. But like you said, you know, happy to see that they competed the way they did, even without those guys in the lineup. Guys, now, if you're watching this and you want to know where you can watch review and preview tonight or where you can find us, make sure to subscribe to our podcast here on Review and Preview Sports. There's our ticker right there below for you. Follow us on Instagram at Review and Preview and like us on the anchor.fm slash Review and Preview to tune in to our audio podcast. Two-hour action-packed show tonight for you folks. Gabe Flayton, our uh, other staff member who hosts the North Pole, will join us at 8.30 to go over our NFL quick picks. But first, let's get right into it. MLB playoffs, Kyle, and... Things were heating up this past week. I can't wait to talk about the ALCS because a team that a lot of people thought wouldn't make it as far as they did, the Houston Astros, who were down 3 nothing in the ALCS, somehow, some way, must have hurt as a Yankee fan, managed to extend this series to seven games. And as I'm taking us through game four, they they didn't bomb glass now, but they hit him pretty good in that poor performance uh, transferred over into game one of the World Series last night. And the Rays have a young guy by the name of Arozarena who has gone yeah. off these entire playoffs. Why don't you tell us a little bit about this guy? He's just been absolutely unbelievable. Uh, rookie home run record, seven home runs in the postseason. Um, actually saw something uh, the other day on Instagram. It was kind of funny. Um, it was a picture of three former St. Louis Cardinals, a Rosarina being one of them, Luke Voigt being another one, and Marcelo Zuna being the other. And the caption was, St. Louis, what are you doing? Because all those guys had such phenomenal seasons and postseasons. Uh, but back to Rosarina, he's just been so clutch for this Tampa Bay Rays team. He, he's kind of, in a sense, what you know Daniel Murphy was to the Mets back in 2015, just being so clutch in the postseason. You know, still being a presence throughout the regular season, but nowhere near the type of impact in which, you know, they're now having on the game within the postseason. And they're going to need him, you know, in this World Series a lot because he carried them in a bunch of games in which it could have gone the other way, especially some of these, um, that game four, game uh, five, especially where Houston only won four, three. You know, they needed him a lot 
But, you know, now that they've made it to this World Series presence, they're going to need him to step up if they want to come home with the championship. You know, I'm thrilled you brought up that comparison uh, to Daniel Murphy because this I know this guy is a little different, but in game four, the two-run homer in the fourth off a of glass now, and the Astros had Zach Greinke on the mound. Remember, they're down 3 nothing in the series, and when you're down 3 nothing as a, a team, you pretty much know you're not coming back unless you're the 0-4 Sox, uh, the Red Sox. But, you know, Altuve and Springer seem to have their bats going the whole series. I don't know if that was just a recipe of Houston hitting the ball well or Glass now, who's been struggling, uh, quite frankly, since the series against you guys, Kyle. Um, I mean, we saw that again last night in game one, but game five, Houston wins by a slim margin against back-to-back games. They win four to three. And this game was weird. Each team used sort of a bullpen rotation, which you will see a lot in the playoffs when series extend and you want to leave your elite starters for a potential game six or game seven. But um, Garcia was really impressive. He he went two innings for Houston, and then Springer right away gets on the board again. What is it about George Springer you think that makes him such an attractable free agent heading into this offseason? Is it the results he delivers year in and year out, or is it that extra boost he turns on in the playoffs every year, it seems? I think it's a combination of both. You know, his postseason presence, you know, being in the postseason the last few years because obviously – uh, was in the World Series last year as well, and then was in the World Series back in 2017, I want to say, when they won it. Mm-hmm. Uh, or was it 2018 when they won it? I could be mistaken. I'm pretty sure it was 2017. But they've been, him especially, has been such a presence. And the difference between him and a bunch of these other guys, Tom, obviously, as we know, it's something that's kind of been undermined and shaded a little bit because obviously bigger things going on in the world right now with COVID-19 you know, what originally happened with this Houston Astros team where, you know, the the scandal going on with the sign stealing. And you saw, you know, by the statistics, you looked at these guys like Jose Altuve and they completely fell off this season. Now, is it because, oh, you didn't have that sign stealing or is it because of the crazy pandemic in which we're dealing with? Only have 60 games, don't have a proper spring training. You know, we don't know. But George Springer, on the other hand, with all that going on, had a really solid season, batted 265. 14 home runs, 32 RBIs, on-base percentage of 360. I mean, that's a solid season. He's one of the few guys on this Houston team that didn't necessarily fall off. And like you said, Tom, he's been that presence in the postseason consistently for this Houston Astros team. He's definitely going to be a very attractive free agent, as he is one of the best outfielders in baseball at this period point in time. Not to mention those New York Mets now have the richest owner in the MLB. Expect them uh, to spend money. Yeah, $14.6 billion. And fun fact, before we get to this question from Hank Kyle, yep. the, next, the, the next top three richest owners combined don't even match Steve Cohen. That's the three of them combined together. So that is alarming. Yep. Uh, and I guess this means good things are soon to come. Uh, on the other side of New York City, uh, hopefully you never know because it's not always about the money. It's will you spend the money correctly? And I think that's something that has to be taken into account as well. But Hank says, honestly, I feel like Tampa Bay has been running out of gas since game four of the Astros series. And that's an excellent point Hank brings up. Let's digest that for a little bit. Um, As we just talked about game four, where 
Tampa Bay, they only scored three runs. They did it again in game five. Remember, they didn't score over four runs the remainder of that series, Kyle. I mean, Hank brings up an excellent point. I mean, and I'm looking in game five, it took a home run from G-Man Choi just to tie it. Yep. I mean, we we see like with guys, you know, we go to the pitching aspect of it because obviously um, Glass now started off, uh, we'll get into that in a little bit, but started off last night in the first game of the World Series against the Dodgers. But we saw with him especially, you know, throughout the regular season, he didn't have that great of a season. The numbers might have been there in terms of record, 5-1. and one, But he had above a 4 ERA, uh, only pitched about 57 innings, 91 strikeouts. It's not a bad season, but it wasn't a good season. And then you see his postseason performance. You know, he started off the game in that elimination game against the Yankees, but they only kept him in there for two innings. They didn't trust him necessarily. Mm-hmm. Last night, I don't know what happened in terms of the management call, but they let him get shellacked and just kept him in there to pitch over 100 pitches. When Tampa doesn't usually do that, they only usually allow their pitchers to go at 80 pitches uh, per game, and then they take them out because they have such a deep and solid bullpen where they only have to have guys go four or five innings. But I'm seeing that a lot as well. G-Man Choi, a guy, you know, he fed on the Yankees. He absolutely dominated the Yankees. Arroz Arena as well is another guy that throughout the Houston series and the Yankees series just absolutely dominated. Kevin Kiermaier as well. Um I'm trying to think of other guys. And just the pitching rotation yeah. as well. The pitching Wendell. was very, very dominant. You know, when uh, Glass now, one of his prime games in the postseason, he had like 10 strikeouts against the Yankees, and I believe game one or game two, which was unbelievable that he was able to do that, considering that was probably his best game of the entire year. But, I, uh, Tank, I, uh, I am 100% on board with you. This Tampa Bay team looks gassed because you go back to the Houston series, that should have been a series that, you know, you could have shut them out completely and you allowed that to go to seven games and wear down your entire pitching rotation on top of the fact your bats as well. And we talked about game six now of that series, Tampa and Houston, that is, yes, I get it. The Astros had Framber Valdez on the mound who has stepped up beautifully in replacement of Justin Verlander this year yep. uh, who had nine strikeouts in six innings, but Tampa Bay only scored one run through five innings in that game. And then Houston just went on a shopping spree in the fifth inning. Yeah. Uh, they scored four or five runs and they ended up scoring seven unanswered runs, I think. So whether it's Springer, Altuve or Correa, Kyle Tucker at a home run in that game, it just seems like their lineup was, it was just really tough to thread the needle against Houston because you can't really pitch around anybody. In that lineup, Tampa Bay was lucky in a sense where Margot started to wake up late in that series. I know he had a pair of home runs. Yeah, he also had a clutch catch. I believe that was in the Houston series where he ran into the um, he ran into the stands and caught an unbelievable pass, uh, unbelievable catch. And I believe he had a home run in that game as well. So he, you know, they had when you look at this Tampa Bay team, they had a lot of individual performances that really carried them, but not a lot of consistency. Rosarina, if you break it down, and G-Man Choi were probably their most consistent players on the team. But outside of that, they didn't really have that. Hmm. That's a really good point you bring up, too, because it's just difficult. This Tampa Bay bullpen, too, they've been shaky. You know, Castillo, a guy who's been a shining armor, a knight in a shining armor all year long, all of a sudden he, he he looks a little off. Yeah. I don't know Fairbanks is another guy. Fairbanks, too. He's been able to shut the door for them, but 
he's been a little um, iffy. Yeah. But the Tampa bullpen in game six, they weren't good, folks. They gave up five runs. No. Five runs. And Nick Anderson, you, another guy. Yeah, Nick Anderson, too. He's been, he, was, he started off so hot, and he was just, he's been terrible the last couple of times they put him in. And you talk about, Kyle, I, lo- I love how you wrote up starters only going four or five innings. Blake Snell, again, a starter who can't go over four innings yeah. in this game. I mean, you saw it. And game seven, Tampa got a little bit lucky. They took a 4 nothing lead, and they were dominant throughout majority of the game, thanks to Charlie Morton, who, quite frankly, when it's been a winner-go-home type of game throughout the course of his career, Charlie Morton has delivered. Yep. He went five and two-thirds, no runs, and only two hits with six strikeouts. But a Rosarina, again, an immediate impact offensively. And then Mike Zunino, we got to talk about this guy, too. He's kind of flown under the radar a little bit. What is your honest opinion about him? He's been a decent catcher for them. I know he played, I believe he played for Seattle last year. And, you know, throughout the last couple years, you know, they've been running through a bunch of catchers whether it was uh, Wilson Ramos, and then at one point in time last year they had Travis Darno, and he looked unbelievable. I thought they were going to sign him back. They chose not to bring him back, and I think he ended up on the Dodgers at one point in time. And now they run with Zanino, and Zanino's been a solid quality catcher. He's okay defensively. He's not going to give you much offensively, but he came up clutch for them. 100%. I couldn't agree with you more. And, and folks, if you're watching us right now, comment in the stream. Tell us what you guys think. Remember, share this podcast with your friends. Uh, like, sub- subscribe for more baseball content, although we won't have so much more with baseball ending soon. But Kyle, in, in Game 7, the Tampa Bay bullpen was shaky again. Anderson wasn't great over two innings, but Fairbanks, I think the top two for me for them have been Castillo and Fairbanks. Yeah, not just through the playoffs, but throughout pretty much the regular season as well. Yeah, um, when you're going up against a guy like Lance McCullers that uh, Morton was, you know it's going to be a duel. McCullers is not going to just sit down. I know he didn't last very long in this game, but you know he still had the seven strikeouts, and then Houston putting in an effort late. Carlos Correa with the two run single. So there they are knocking on the door, Kyle and. Tampa Bay is just able to fend them off somehow. Per- personally, do you think this was just adrenaline, perseverance, or do you truly think that Tampa Bay is primed to emerge as potentially the 2020 World Series champions? I mean, not if they perform like the way they did last night, but they, they look like one of those teams for the first time in a while. You know, we've actually seen – from the NL and the AL, the teams that won the most games throughout the season actually are now playing in the World Series. Tampa and the Dodgers were the only teams to eclipse 40 wins. And they're both playing each other in the World Series. So I guess you could say that those are the best two teams in the league, and now they're facing each other in the championship, which determines the best team of the season. So I think, I don't want to say primed to be World Series champion, because a lot did happen in order for them to have success in their own division. We all know the woes of the Yankees throughout the season with injuries. Um, Even a team in Boston who completely turned up their organization upside down within a matter of a year, had no pitching whatsoever. You had a lot of younger teams come out uh, throughout the AL, like Chicago. Um, Toronto really didn't put this stamp on. Toronto as well really didn't put up a fight. You had Baltimore at one point in time. They looked like they were going to fight, but they didn't really – 
do anything towards the latter stretch of the season. Tampa's always been a decent team. The last couple of years, they've been a good team. This is really the first year that they're just putting their mark in their stamp and making the rest of the league aware that, you know, they're here. They're a relatively young team with some young pieces like Tyler Glass now, Austin Meadows, another guy, although he's been really bad. I don't think he's – he hasn't had a hit since game three yeah. against Houston, so he's been really bad. But they have a lot of young, solid pieces combined with the fact that they have they have the smallest salary cap in the entire league right now, and look what they've been able to accomplish. It's a it's a Billy Bean story right now with the Oakland Athletics, except <laughs> with the Tampa Bay Rays, the smallest cap salary. They got guys that hit. They got guys that get on base. And the analytics with their pitching is, you know, it's questionable at some points, but it's remarkable at the same time. The fact that they have guys like Glass now, they have guys like Blake Snell, and they're only going four or five innings because they know how deep their bullpen is and can secure the win. And let's let's get to Hank's comment. Removing Charlie Morton was a mistake. Kevin Cash would have been scrutinized had the Rays lost. I mean, what Hank, they would have they would have been scrutinized no matter what because they gave up a three nothing lead. You know, in, in a championship series, they would have been scrutinized no matter what. I don't think that would have been the defining point, considering the fact that Kevin Cash again. You know, he could be up for manager of the year potentially, uh, based on what he was able to accomplish with this Tampa Bay Rays team. Um, you know, unbelievable feat throughout a, you know, incredibly difficult season in which everybody had to furthermore face. I think he's a great manager. Is it a mistake? Potentially. But again, the fact that they also don't forget Tampa won about 90 plus games in 2018 and somehow weren't even wildcard team. That's a model of consistency right there. Well, Hank, that's again, back in 2018, you had a Boston team that was winning the World Series and you had the Yankees that were competing. That, that, that's why. That's what I'm talking about with this division. Tampa's been a good team, but the Yankees and, you know, Boston, uh, Boston especially, just had a complete turnaround. I don't, uh, I, I haven't remembered a team that's hit this much of a downfall in a long time from World Series to literally one of the worst teams in all of baseball in a matter yeah. of a year and a half. It's incredible. But they've been a great team, uh, a good team for a long time. I think they're here to stick around. I don't think that was a defining point. You know, again, blowing a 3-0 lead would have been the storyline. Not, I don't think necessarily pulling Charlie Morton in the game seven. But, um, you know, they don't have to worry about that problem. They're playing in the World Series. It's such a crazy year, such a crazy season. And game one didn't look hot. But what this Tampa Bay team has shown is perseverance. They showed perseverance. And they've showed that on any night, again, they may not have the consistency there, but on any night, they'll have individual performers that, you know, get them the W at the end of the day. Well, let's tip our cap to Dusty Baker, too, before oh, we yeah. uh, move on to the NLCS. I, I think him coming in late as a manager this year, knowing Houston's scenario, it's not a job that I would say a lot of managers wanted after the circumstances from last year. So the fact that he was able to come in, and bring his team just not even a game, like a run removed from a potential World Series appearance is just mind-boggling. I think it speaks volumes to him that he deserves to be the manager next year as well. Oh, yeah. And, you know, some guys may come and go, but... um, Dusty Baker is is beloved by the MLB. He's probably Mm -hmm. one of the only names they could have brought in there at manager where it wouldn't have been scrutinized whatsoever, wouldn't have been you know, attacked by the media or he would have just handled it properly, which he did and managed to uh, shut down a lot of people. Because again, this team, you know, in a season where they didn't cheat necessarily, 
though they didn't cheat at all, managed to get, again, Tom, what a Correa hit a two-run single yeah. at the top of the eighth in Game 7. So like you said, a, basically a swing away from making it back to a World Series. So moving on to the NLCS, folks, I know we really want to hit uh, the head on this series here because this was another similar scenario where the Braves were up. They were up 2 nothing in the series, and then they led 3-1. to one. But we left off at Game 3. Now, I had Alec Walt on last week from JDF Sports to speak about his thoughts on the MLB playoffs. And this game was happening live where the Dodgers took an 11 nothing lead in the first inning. And yeah. it was kind of like where it rains, it pours type of game. Yeah. Where we knew the Dodgers were going to win. Whenever Julio Urias is on the mound, it seems like the Dodgers win. In fact, uh, Julio Urias is 4-0 in the playoffs. Yep. So He's 3-0 in the regular season, too. Yeah, so he hasn't lost the game in 2020. If one, if this year has been kind to anybody, it's it's been him, Kyle. Yeah. So the Dodgers rallied three straight games after being down 3-1, to but it really started in game three where I, I knew the Dodgers were going to win this series, even after they went down 3-1. When you attack Kyle Wright the way they did, winning 15-3, to and Dayton wasn't much better either out of the bullpen, giving up eight runs in two innings. Between him and Wright, it was just atrocious for Atlanta. Um, the Dodgers did all their damage in the first three innings, and then there was pretty much no game left to watch. Um, I was really disappointed for Atlanta's sake that that was the result. And then in game four, you know, we saw a little different. It was the other way around. Atlanta wins 10 to two with 22 year old Bryce Wilson. Six innings pitched only gave up one hit the whole game. I believe that was a home run with five K's and, he only started two games all season too. So a closeout game and they, and they put him in that position. I was actually just about to ask you, how many games has this guy started this year? Because that's the first time I've ever heard of him. I'm I'm a Mets fan. (laughs) He appeared in six games, but only started two. Neither of them must have been against the Mets. So, uh, yeah. And then heading into the bottom of the sixth, the game is tied all even. And then Atlanta scores six runs. You have the Freemans, the Ozunas, the whole bank just opened up. RBI doubles. Swanson had a two-run double. And then you look at a guy like Austin Riley, who's been really good this year. Uh, Christian Pache, who is a really young player, hitting ninth for Atlanta. If that's your number nine hitter, you're doing pretty good for yourself. Remember, this is a guy who signed – this is a team who signed Matt Adams early on in the season. Um, they really got to Kershaw good in this game, who went five-plus, gave up four runs. Ozuna was a monster, four for five, two home runs, four yeah. RBIs. It's what you alluded to before, Kyle. Ozuna has been a beast since leaving St. Louis, and even Miami for that matter. You know, He's been yeah, no. that guy it's, who's everybody that Everybody that left from that Miami team Sam. has become an absolute animal. It's become absolutely amazing. Yelich is an MVP, one of the best players in baseball. Ozuna is a, probably one of the best DHs in all of – well, not a DH anymore, but one of the best players in all of baseball. And your man, Giancarlo. And Giancarlo as well. Travis Darnell, another guy that, you know, in this – for this Atlanta team, he's just – it's insane when you really think about it. As soon as he left the Mets, he became that player that the Mets thought that he was, whether it was with the Dodgers for a short stint, whether it was with the Rays. 
I think he closed out 2019 with the Rays, and now with Atlanta, again, he was just fantastic in the postseason. But specifically against this Dodgers team, you know, Tom, you, you say that once the Dodgers had a game like that, 15-3, to three, you thought they were going to come back. In that game four, when Clayton Kershaw performed the way that he did, I thought it was over. I could already see the headlines, the storylines. Clayton Kershaw continues to let down the fans, continues to be a postseason struggling pitcher, where in the postseason, I believe he has a career four ERA or something like that, when his regular season average career is a below three. So he's been notorious for losing in the postseason or just not showing up whatsoever. And you saw it again. Atlanta takes that 3-1 lead. I think it's over. And then what's even crazier is that then the Dodgers decide to start throwing out bullpen games. Dustin May. Dustin May gets two innings. And he lets up two quick runs early in the first and second. But the Dodgers, they just come back. They come back. Corey Seager stepped up huge. I believe he wanted up winning the the MVP of the NLCS, I believe. Yes. Yep. He wanted up winning that. He came up clutch. And then Will Smith as well. I believe what was that? That was the storyline of that game too, right? Will Smith hit a home run off Will Smith. Yeah, Will Smith blew the save to Will Smith. So yeah. The rookie catcher for the Dodgers, right? I believe yeah. he was a rookie this year. And just dinging one off of the Braves Will Smith, who I believe that Will Smith played for the Giants uh, the year prior where he was just dominating. He was getting saves left and right. There was no way to hit him. So that's where you make your money, folks, in the, in the playoffs. season. Yep. Yeah. That's what, that's what people remember. In the NBA, yeah. That's what people remember. Um, and then – Look, it was just really difficult. Smith and Seager, each with three RBIs. Dodgers win seven to three. They extended to game six. Remember, they're still the underdogs, surprisingly. Yeah. Uh, compared to a team who hasn't been to the World Series in ages. So game six, LA ends up winning three to one. Well, here here we are. We have a game seven. In game six, uh, LA again. What was the recipe to success for them in this series? getting the offense early, early and often. Three runs off of Max Freed in the first inning. Freed still went six and two-thirds, but it was not enough where Seager had another home run. Justin Turner uh, still kills me today. It seems like it was an eternity ago. He was a Met. Uh, I remember it was my friend's high school graduation party. We were in the middle of New Jersey. Yeah. It was like 11 o'clock at night, and Justin Turner was getting up to hit. Now, the Mets were playing on the West Coast, and Turner was like the hottest hitter in baseball at that time. I think it was like 2010, 2011. Yep. It, was, it, was tw- it was 2011. And I'm like, oh, why did we let him go? Yeah, that, was, that, was that was one that got away. That was one that got away. And they could have re-signed him for cheap, too. But that's back when we had uh, Sandy Alderson. Yeah. So, well, listen, you I got think, him back now. I think that's one of uh, Steve Cohen's first uh, things that he plans on doing. Yeah. He's bringing back Sammy Alderson. But before we get to game seven of the series, Walker Buehler was great. You know, I got to tell you, he, not giving up a run, that, that's big when you're going up against a powerful Atlanta offense. I think, you know, he's been their number one now, even over Kershaw at times. Yeah. I know he didn't start game one last night, but yeah. uh, I'm just really impressed by him, you know. Yeah. No, he's definitely 
he's definitely been impressive. And, you know, it was interesting, you know, as we transitioned talking about game seven. Well, think about the game six. He did give up seven hits in this game. Which it was just Atlanta just couldn't get on. They couldn't score. They had runners in scoring position numerous amounts of times, and they just could not get anybody home. And that was their big problem. Uh, Max Freed, one of the best pitchers in all of baseball this year, he didn't have a great – he didn't have a bad game. Eight hits, three runs, five strikeouts, two home runs. It wasn't a great game. But, again, the bats just weren't there. They had – they had at least double digit hits in this game. I'd have to they had about 10 yeah. 11 hits in this game. They just could not get anybody home. No home runs by the Braves in this game, which I think might have been one of the first times uh throughout their entire postseason uh, tenure. Yeah. But they just didn't have the success and that was the moment that you knew that okay, it's going to go to the Dodgers way. It's going to go to the Dod- once you blow that 3-1 lead and it gets all tied up the momentum is shifted. The other team, unless you're Tampa Bay. Yeah, exactly. Unless you're Tampa Bay, the other team at this point, the Dodgers, yes, obviously you have something to lose, but you have less to lose because the storyline is going to be Atlanta blew the three, one lead. Not that the Dodgers just fall short of coming back four to three in the series. The momentum shifted. And we saw that come game seven where they won four to three. They're down three to two to the Braves in the sixth inning. They had Ian Anderson on the mound, who has been their second most impressive pitcher all year long behind Freed. Uh, yeah. Only went three innings in this game. And then again, another Dustin May start type of game for the Dodgers in game seven. You're going that was, with that was an interesting call because I was surprised they didn't give it to Urias. I knew that they weren't – listen, they were not going to give a game seven to Kershaw just with his history. Already in that series, losing 10-2 to two in the game in which he pitched, they weren't going to give it to him. But Dustin May just started off for them, even though he only pitched two innings, I believe. He started for them on game five. So to bring him back in game seven, even though he only pitched an inning, in a game seven situation, you run a bullpen baseball game, it's pretty insane. You know what else is insane? The fact yeah. that the Braves, who are notorious for having the most talked about bullpen in the National League, as far as you know, positive comments, and yeah. they blew it. Minter blew a lead in the sixth inning to Kike Hernandez hitting a solo shot, and then Bellinger hit another home run off of Martin. So the Braves' bullpen is the reason why they're not in the World Series. This yeah. one of their biggest strengths as a team. I remember last year, 2019, it's the trade deadline. They went out and they acquired three arms. They got Will Smith, they got Melancone, and I think the third guy might have been Martin. Yeah, I and believe that was the case. They just absolutely rolled over in game seven. Where I mean, you saw that last year too when they played St. Louis. They just, the bullpen wanted up killing them at the end of the day. Um, I believe the other pitcher was green, by the way. I don't believe it was uh, – I believe it was green. I believe it was green. But I believe that's his name, yeah. But anyway, you, you saw that last season too where they acquired three bullpen guys to help them get over that hump, and they wound up blowing it last year to St. Louis, I believe. Uh, I could be mistaken. It was either St. Louis or Washington. I do believe it was St. Louis. But they blew that as well, and they blew it again this year. They blew it again this year. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see what they do in the you know off season to really solidify this team because from top to bottom they didn't really have that many holes throughout the entirety of the season. 
they had some injuries here and there, but solid pitching, solid bullpen. The one through nine is pretty good. They had some injuries, which happens to every team. I know Freddie Freeman at one point in time, I believe he missed like the first two or three weeks uh, with COVID-19. Nick Markakis, after originally opting out of the season, then came back. Ozzie Albies, I believe, missed some time. Yeah, he only played 29 games this season. But they made it as far as they did, and it came down to the bullpen in almost every single one of their losses against the Dodgers. And that'll be something they'll have to look at. Something you got to live with. Let's look at this comment. The real game changer was the base running blunder, in my opinion, when Austin Riley ran into the double play. I think it helped to enable an L.A. comeback. Well, whatever. I mean, I don't remember that specific moment. In the I remember game. it, yeah. You, you I remember do. what he's talking about. Yeah. I mean, listen, hey, Hank, all these things are, are game changers. Again, my my specific one was in that game six scenario. Again, you have probably your best pitcher available, Max Freed, to get you the W. Again, didn't pitch a bad game six Six and two-third innings, yes, eight hits, yes, three runs, but absolutely no batting support in terms of people scoring runs. You had your hits there. You had people getting on base. You just had no production in getting people home, and that's why they wound up losing that game. And as soon as they lost that game, you know, I, I knew it was over. The Dodgers were going to win that game. And back to game seven real quick. That home run by Cody Bellinger might have been one of the best clutch home runs I think I've ever seen in my life. Between the bat flip, the stare down, the slow walk to first base, if that was a pat, and granted, you got to remember this, this is game seven, so this would have been played at Dodger Stadium. That would have been one of the clutchest home runs, loudest home runs that I think we might have ever seen to send you to the postseason. Oh, my God. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Back on track. That's where Atlanta you know, lost it for me. You know, that Austin Riley play, you know, you look at individual plays. Yes, that could have been it. But again, coming down to the fact that you look in a lot of these games, their bullpen just was not there when that was supposed to be, you know, something that they addressed last offseason. It blew it last offseason. Came into this season, looked good, made it all the way to a game seven when they should have been able to close it out in potentially five games. They blow it because of the bullpen. Just want to get some some clarification. Yes, Hank is pictured with Daryl Strawberry in that picture, former Met and Yankee. Fun fact, actually, I I have a picture with Daryl Strawberry as well. Um, I was on his flight, actually, sitting two rows behind him. Yeah, I remember that picture. Yeah, you do. I was like, I think I was like 20. But anyway, we have another comment. Johnny Montalbano from South Carolina, the original founder of Review and Preview back in 2011. How's it going, Johnny? The Braves were on pace to pitch historically dominant this postseason. They ended up pitching historically poor. And, you know, I have one thing to say about that. I think they really missed Mike Soroka. Oh, yeah. yeah, Especially in these playoffs because this guy was a candidate to win Cy Young. And not having him, Max Fried elevates to your number one. They were really fortunate that, that Ian Anderson came up when he did. But I, I, I see the disappointment. Freed gave up runs early. Ian Anderson didn't last very long in his last start. Yeah. 100% agree. Yeah. So it is disappointing. Yeah. But, but the listen, they'll be back. Because with 
with Soroka, that starting lineup is phenomenal. Yeah. Again, uh, a lot of these guys, you know, you've heard they a lot of them want to be back. You know, Acuna and Ozzy Albies are signed up long term. Azuna wants to be back. Uh, Freddie Freeman wants to sign long term. And as long as you keep those core four, they should be a fine baseball team. Hundred percent. And you know, as a Mets fan, that, that stinks to hear. But I mean, yeah, we, we pretty much know that. So uh, just because the Braves dominated the division back in the two thousands, but anyway. World Series talk. It's here, folks. Game two is tonight. We have the L.A. Dodgers, who came up short in the World Series three years ago in 2017 to the Houston Astros and two years ago in 2018 to the Boston Red Sox. Tampa Bay last appeared in a World Series in 2008. They lost in five to the Phillies. And fun fact, Kyle, Tampa Bay has never won a World Series. Yeah. They've never won. Here's my take on this. Tampa Bay being in the World Series is awful for baseball. I mean, I personally like it, but for baseball, it's just awful because they don't really have much of a fan base. Yeah. And not as many people are going to watch probably because of that, where it's going to be more baseball fans, not Tampa Bay fans. And you have Los Angeles, who's the complete opposite. You know, they're powerhouse city. One of the biggest markets probably besides the Yankees. Right. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Listen, in terms of in terms of situation, this is probably one of the best situations for them because they're not playing at their home field. Whereas if they were playing at their home field, baseball probably would have lost a lot of money. But granted, the fact that they're not playing, are they playing in San Diego right now? Or are they playing in Texas? Arlington, Texas. They're, they're at playing Globe, in Texas. Globe Life Field. Yes, in um, Arlington. Yeah, they're playing in Arlington right now at the Ranger Stadium. So you know, you have a multitude of fans. You have a multiple. Just sports fans in general looking to get out, looking to just attend games and be back in that environment, especially in a World Series. But yeah, I agree with you. Tampa Bay may not be the prettiest of names in there. You know, one of the things that uh, when the Miami, uh, not the Miami Heat, going to the NHL, the Dallas Stars going up against the Tampa Bay Lightning, that was another mismatch uh, of, a, of a situation. People wanted the Avalanche from the West, the Vegas Golden Knights from the West. Uh, people wanted... Uh, Washington, people wanted Pittsburgh. You know, they wanted some classic series. They wanted some back-and-forth dominant series, and they wound up getting Dallas versus Tampa. And Tampa wound up winning. And, you know, Tampa, the Rays themselves, Florida's had a lot of good success this year. Miami, the Rays, uh, Tampa Bay Lightning, Tom Brady. I'll get this. Florida's had a lot of good fortune in terms of sports this year. L.A. won the basketball. Yeah, Tampa Bay won the hockey. What do we have in baseball? Tampa Bay. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) What do you know? If that trend keeps up, we'll see the Tom Brady. We'll see the Bucks and the Chargers in the Super Bowl, and you know, (laughs) highly doubtful. But maybe, maybe Tampa. But you never know. Yeah. But anyway, let's get to this series. Arroz Arena has been very impressive. He leads the MLB in these playoffs with seven home runs and 21 hits, logging a 375 batting average. And then for the Dodgers, my player to watch in this series, as you mentioned, is the NLCS MVP, Corey Seager. Six homers, 15 RBIs in the playoffs. Um, And then I I guess the two best pitchers, really, for both teams. It's been Julio Urias for the Dodgers and then Charlie Morton 
for the Rays, neither starter losing a game in these playoffs, both with ERAs under one, well under one, too. It's like they're not even near it. Oh, you're talking about game two. The Dodgers actually have scheduled uh, Gosselin to start. No, right? yeah. I'm just talking about, like, my pitchers to watch. In, in the oh, state. okay, yeah, yeah. Because you brought up Blake Snell. My Blake Snell's pitching tonight. He's not going up against Urias. But, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, my guy, you know, hands down, it's not a guy to watch. Everybody's, you know, is is just Mookie Betts. Mookie Betts is absolutely incredible. And, you know, this will be a debate for another time. But, you know, even David Ortiz, former Boston Red Sox, coming out personally saying it, said if I was the general manager when I was on the team, I would have just given him part of my salary. And he's not wrong. Mookie Betts might be – one of the, you know, obviously, you know, excluding Trout or maybe even putting him back into that conversation because the one thing that Mookie has over Trout is that as an individual, they perform very well, but Trout has no wins to show for it. Mookie does where he's really the lead and the captain behind the ship right. and steering the, an organization in the right direction towards that victory into the promised land, which is now the World Series. He's been flat out amazing. You know, we showed on the graphic uh, prior to the show, just that catch that he had. That was the second robbed home run of the postseason, the first, obviously, of the World Series. He's just an unbelievable uh, being blocked by the ticker right now. Bottom, there it is, right bottom. in the middle. Just an unbelievable player. On-base percentage, fantastic. Batting average, fantastic. Outfielding, uh, again, probably just behind Trout in terms of you know best outfielders in all of baseball. The guy is hands down top three player in all of baseball. There's no questions asked. Another guy, Cody Bellinger and Max Max Muncy. I know Max Muncy had a huge game last night where he really had a really poor season. I believe he batted around 150, 160. Cody Bellinger had a quiet season as well after coming off an MVP. Only batted around 235, I believe, 240, somewhere in that range. He struggled in the regular season, yeah. He's been huge these last couple games. Mm -hmm. Uh, Had a great game last night. And the real factor for me, Tom, was Clayton Kershaw getting the win in the World Series. Logging in that game one as a victory, that is huge. Because this is a guy that, granted prior to that, you knew that he was starting in the postseason and passed. And you could almost guarantee yourself and assure yourself as a fan watching, based on the regimen in which and resume in which he's built for himself in the postseason, that he was not going to be successful. And he was most likely going to be the reason why you were going to win, lose that game. Mm-hmm. going six innings, allowing two hits, uh, I believe eight strikeouts, something like that. For I Kershaw, be, yep. For Kershaw, solid outing, really, really good outing from yeah. your pitcher, and then everything else just came with it. And he reached a milestone last night, uh, second most postseason strikeouts in MLB history. Yep. All-time record right there, second place. So that's good for him. He was actually congratulated by John Smoltz before the game, so that was uh, very interesting to hear about in the broadcast booth. And then the thing that strikes me about L.A. Now, we'll get into this game in just a minute. They, as they won it, 8-3. to three. They don't just buy players. Now, I know they acquired Mookie Betts and they gave him the bag. But the way they develop young talent, and two perfect examples are Max Muncie and Kike Hernandez. Dustin May is another one, too, that I happen to really like, who's going to be really good in a couple of years. Uh, These are young guys that they've done a fantastic job developing in their farm system. Um, And if you don't follow Vince Scully on Instagram, you might as well. Yes, the Vince Scully, 92 years old, just joined social media uh, amidst the pandemic. But he is a huge Dodgers fan still to this day. 
And, you know, he puts up a lot of clips about like a lot of these old games where you just see like it's a lot of young players the Dodgers have had when they've won. They somehow just continue to rejuvenate their team. I know Justin Turner is old. Clayton Kershaw has been on the team since we were kids pretty much. So it's just really fun to see a good mix of veterans and young players. Like again, Will Smith, like who is this guy, you know, bursting onto the, um, the scene here and Kershaw strong six innings last night. Now holds a two and two record in the world series. So he actually with how, you know, off he's been, he does have an even record. And then glass now, again, not very good barely going over four innings. Do you see this as a concern for Tampa Bay pitchers in this series in general against this Dodgers lineup, not being able to go very deep into games? I don't see it as that much of a concern again, because they just could not get their bats going for Tampa. They, they only had six hits throughout the entirety of the games, uh, throughout the entirety of the game. And their big name guys in Meadows continues to struggle. Renfro, uh, a Rosarina who's been absolutely phenomenal for them. Didn't have a, pitch what was interesting uh, didn't have a hit what was interesting was kevin cash's decision to uh have Choi be the pinch hitter instead of starting him at first base he allowed yandy diaz to start at first base for the rays last night i know that tonight uh Choi is going back to that uh first base position um so watch out for that in the lineup as well but again they just they just could not get their bats going am i worried about the pitching no, because they have a really, really deep bullpen as well. I don't think that, again, Nick Anderson needs to be better. Pete Fairbanks has probably been their one consistent bullpen guy throughout the postseason where he really hasn't faltered that much like these other guys have. I know that Fleming last night allowed two runs after being a phenomenal pitcher in the regular season, went 5-0 and with a 2.70 RA. He was phenomenal. But again, they just got to get their bats going. What the Dodgers have shown me is that, again, they may not even have a lot of confidence in their pitching as well, Tom, because we saw when they played against the Braves, you would think in, in game time situations where, you know, the series is on the line, they'd be throwing their best out there. Two of the last three games in the Houston series were two of the last three, uh, two of the last three games in the Houston series were bullpen games where Dustin May only pitches two innings. In, uh, in the last game of the series, game seven, Dustin May only goes for one. You know, they have pitching problems of their own. This will be a series based off of what bats perform better each and every night because they both have their pitching woes. You know, Clayton Kershaw, again, one of his best World Series performances that he has in a 2-2 two and two record. Mm-hmm. You know, is that going to be consistent if he pitched game one? If there's a game five, is he going to be able to do the same thing? Or is he going to be the turning point in which potentially the Tampa Bay Rays get back in the series? We'll see. Right. But it's a matter of the bats. And I think if the bats get swinging for the Rays, they will compete and force a couple more games. Well, right now, I think that's the difference where you say advantage L.A. I'm not going to say advantage L.A. by much, but it's definitely uh, edges towards them. Because Bellinger, the two-run home run, Putting up LA 2 0. Kiermeyer did a nice job responding, though. And then middle innings, Muncie reached on that fielder's choice, putting them ahead 3 1. And then that's where things started to erupt into LA's favor. Will Smith had an RBI single. Chris Taylor 
And Kike Hernandez got pieces to the pie as well. And then all of a sudden, uh, you go from down 2-1 to being down 6-1. The Dodgers scored four runs in that inning. And then the bottom of the six, Mookie Betts just completely um, you know, breaks the pipes open, solo shot, and then Muncie tacks on another run. Now you're down 8-1. to one. Um, And then I get it. When you finally get Kershaw out of the game, you scored a couple runs off of Floro, but that's not going to do it. Uh, a little too little too late. Um, what are your general thoughts on those middle innings, and how can how can Tampa Bay avoid that in Game 2 with Blake Snell on the mound? Well, it's going to be interesting because like we've talked about in the past, the way that they seem to address their pitching situation is that I don't know if it's a matter of not having faith in their guys or rather going towards the fact that, hey, I'm not going to let this guy, even though he has a low pitch count, go for the seventh inning. I'm going to take him out in four or five. I have faith in our bullpen. And that way, when he gets ready for his next start, if we need him to go six, seven innings, potentially, he could do that. Again, Glass now was a little more of an interesting decision because he got absolutely slammed. Uh, Kevin Cash left him in there for the long haul. He pitched over 100 pitches, I believe, and he only lasted a fourth and a third. Four innings and a third. So that was an interesting call there. Blake Snell, I believe, is a better pitcher. I think he's going to have more success tonight. Again, you already see the Dodgers are throwing out a bullpen game where they could have gone to a guy in Walker Buehler who has not pitched now in about a week plus, where they could have potentially, you know, not guaranteed, but have a solid chance to go up 2-0 on this Tampa Bay Rays team. You know, this is going to be the game for Tampa. Because if they go down 2-0, Walker Buehler has been probably their hands-down best pitcher, not of the season, but in this postseason, he's been their best pitcher. If you force uh, you go to a game three with Walker Buehler in that lineup, and Tampa's going out there with a third pitcher because you already started Glass now, you already started Blake Snell, it's not going to be a good situation for them. They need to take advantage of the fact that they're going with a bullpen game tonight and really get their bats swinging early. Yeah. Tony Gonsolin on the mound tonight for the Dodgers in game two. So Tampa, this is pretty much a must win situation. As Hank just commented, actually, he has the Dodgers winning this series in six. Yeah. Um, So originally when the playoffs started, I'm saying, okay, do we know what year it is? We do. So I picked the Rays to beat the Dodgers in the World Series. Remember, that was my original pick. I'm the only person still standing. Both of my teams made it. I know you have the Dodgers and the Yankees, so you're half correct. Um, and then James went with the St. Louis Cardinals, which um, – Got to give him credit. Yeah. That's one, that's one of those James Listen, James, James has proved this wrong in the past where he's had crazy picks and he wanted to make us all look dumb. <laughs> I mean, it, listen, it happens with quick picks every week. Yeah, you can he look still at hasn't it. lost. He's the one person who hasn't lost through six weeks. So. Yeah. Although I think Gabe is finally getting the handle. We'll get to that a little bit later. But um, that'll be fun to watch unfold. And then, of course, um, Game 2 will start tonight at 8.08 p.m. in about 10 to 15 minutes. Um, So now we're going to go over our – actually, no. Let's actually make our predictions and games now that you're here before we get there, Kyle. Who do you think wins and in how many games? The pen's coming out. I want to see a series. Uh, I'm going to go with I'm going to go with the Dodgers in seven. You know, I love Kershaw. I really want to see him get a ring, but I have a feeling he goes in there for a game five. He's not going to perform the way he performed 
in game one, and that could really be a turning point. But I'm going to see them close it out in a game seven situation. So Dodgers in seven to reiterate the statement. Dodgers go up 2 nothing in the series. Yep. Tampa Bay takes game three. Tampa Bay wins in seven. Wow. I, look, I got this far tonight. I kind of have to stick true to my original gut prediction. Oh, you wanted to pick, you picked Tampa to win the whole thing? Yeah. Oh, all right. So ride it out. Ride I it out. To. I have to. Um, it's, it's, only, it's only right at this point. Yeah. It seems to be the year of the Bay. So we'll yeah. see what happens. And uh, we'll move on to our Team of the Week segment now, which is a team that we pick each week, folks, across all sports. Anything could be peewee football, NFL, NASCAR, NBA, baseball, hockey. Uh, the team that stuck out to us the most and that has impressed us the most. And, uh, Kyle, we will start with you. A team that has impressed me the most is the Tennessee Titans. They continue to impress, you know, with such adverse, uh, adversity in a sense, considering that they were considered in the beginning of the season to be in a deep division. Obviously, nobody knew that Houston was going to fall to the way they did. They knew that Indianapolis was going to compete, and you didn't know what Gardner Menchie was going to bring from the Jaguars. You saw how they performed in the AFC in the postseason last year. Could they repeat it? Could Ryan Tannehill be this guy again? And the answer is yes. He's been astonishing. He's been fantastic. We go back to this game against Houston last week, Tom, uh, on Sunday, 42-36 to in overtime. And even though Derrick Henry, 212 yards, two touchdowns, King Henry, absolutely unbelievable, one of the most dominant running backs that I think we've seen in a long time. Ryan Tannehill was also a major contribution to why this team was able to seal the victory. And he's been consistent throughout the entirety of the season. 13 touchdowns, two interceptions, a QBR of 114, almost a 70% uh, completion percentage. You know, we all know the MVP award is almost a a QB award. Without the exception of Russell Wilson, you know, we're talking about Ryan Tannehill being in that top five of candidacy for MVP just based on stats in terms of their 5-0 and on top yeah. of the fact they were the hardest hit team by COVID-19 that's my team of the week Tennessee Titans they were one of my final three contenders too I was gonna wait and see who you took before taking mine but not to mention that Mike Vrabel is probably the second smartest head coach in football mm-hmm. behind Bill Belichick he literally knows the ins and outs of the playbook where Vrabel pretty much studied that throughout his career. Now he's doing it as a head coach. The way he was able to pretty much stop the game, yeah, figure out a way to win that game with his team backpedaling down one late in the red zone like that. I mean, Tennessee's going to be a for uh, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with for a very very long time. Yeah, especially in that AFC South, they're going to be contenders for the teams like the Chiefs and the Ravens for years to come. So. Yep. They're relatively young, you know, with the exception of Tannehill. They're all young. Yeah, although even Tannehill is a few years left in him, too, because, you know, he he suffered a couple injuries. He hasn't started his whole career. So, yeah, you know, glad to see him back starting in this league. Mine is uh, the L.A. Dodgers because of the way they were able to come back, being down 3-1 to one, uh, in the span of a week, winning three straight games against – an Atlanta Braves team that was hot, excuse me, um, they were just very hot. 
And the Dodgers just found the way. They had a culmination of their bats and their starters, whether it's been several guys out of the bullpen. And the reason why I'm picking them, Kyle, it took a whole collective team effort yeah. for them to win. There's not one player in this series, and you could point out and say, oh, he was that guy. Maybe Corey Seager at times, but you can't just turn out and say, oh, like, uh, you know, Patrick Mahomes is the reason why we won. It was really a combination of everybody. Yeah. So that's why. I'm going with the Dodgers. So, folks, we're actually going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the New York Jets and the New York Giants. You're watching Review and Preview here on Facebook Live at Review and Preview Sports. We will be right back. We became human. Welcome back to Review and Preview, folks. Uh, taking a couple of Gabe's videos there from the North Pole for a couple of his unused segments from this past week. Tom Scavetta here with Kyle Russo on Review and Preview. And we move on to my favorite part of the show where we don't have to uh, banter on ourselves. We can actually talk about another New York sports team that's struggling, not our own, uh, the New York Jets. So the Jets are 0-6, probably the worst team in the NFL, sadly. They were shut out by the Miami Dolphins 24-0 on Sunday. First time since the AFC Championship game back on January 23rd, 1983. It's been that long. It's been... It's been 36, 37 years since the Jets were shut out by the Dolphins and just their second time in team history starting 0-6. They started 0-6 back in 1996. So, Kyle, it just seems this team is in full tank mode. They traded away two players this week, Steve McClendon getting traded at Tampa Bay, big defensive tackle they lost, and Offensive, uh, I'm sorry, outside linebacker Jordan Willis traded to the 49ers for draft capital, pair of late-round picks. Man, talk about this team. What are your general thoughts? And By the way, the Chiefs signed Le'Veon Bell, so that's another guy they got rid of. But what are your general thoughts on this team? Because right now they're just disgusting to watch. They're not an, uh, they're not an NFL-caliber team. I mean, you look at this team, Tom, and you have to scratch your head that ultimately when you use the words of – tanking right that's to get the number one pick in the perceived draft to get an excellent player but from what you're hearing in the media it seems like if the new york jets are selecting number one come april of 2021 or whenever the draft does proceed is that trevor lawrence is not it may wind up opting in going back to clemson another year so all this trading away of their talent all this in a sense, you're not getting that much draft capital back. Maybe Joe Douglas, what he was able to do in the past, make it his own team. Maybe that's what they're doing. But they just they don't even look like they want to win in some of these games. They don't they they looked competitive early in the season. You didn't think they, you knew they were gonna be bad because they had one of the toughest schedules in all of football. I think we I think I predicted them like three and thirteen. They were going to have a bad year just based on their schedule. 
But in some of these games, they don't even look competitive. You know, you're going into this Miami game. Your lineup is Joe Flacco and Frank Gore. I mean, two of the journeyman, old, you know, good players at one point in time, seven, eight years ago, you had those two on your team. You know, you were poised for some playoff success, maybe even to win the division. But Frank Gore is 36 years old. Joe Flacco is around the same age. The offensive line, although you signed six offensive linemen in free agency, somehow, in my personal opinion, has actually looked worse than what it did last year. You have Jameson Crowder, who I feel really terrible for because he's a really good player on in a really bad situation now with this New York Jets team. You know, they found a diamond in the rough last year, Tom, uh, a name I'll bring up, Ryan Griffin, who was really good for them at tight end towards the end of the season. They don't even look to use a tight end in this with this team, they, although they drafted a guy in Chris Herndon a couple of years back. They drafted. Um, they didn't draft. They brought in Ryan Griffin and signed him to an extension. They don't look like they want to win. They're trading away again. Jamal Adams is gone, although they got a surplus of uh, draft capital. Le'Veon, you can't get anything for. Steve McClendon, you trade him a couple hours after the game. I mean, this team is the epitome of tanking. We don't really see this in the NFL. You see this more in basketball. You see this a little bit in baseball sometimes where they get rid of a lot of good players over the course of a couple of years. You look at the Pirates. I think that'd be an example. They got rid of a lot of young talent for some older established guys that were on the back ends of their careers. And now you look at this team. This team is just horrible. Like, going into a game, how could you even – and then with Adam Gase at the head coaching position, how could you rally behind this team and say, guys, let's compete and let's try to get a W and then get shut out by former Jets quarterback Ryan Fitzpatrick, former head coach of the Miami Dolphins, Adam Gase, goes back to Hard Rock Stadium and you put up a goose egg. I mean, just – I, I don't even know what you do. You know, we're not talking about the Jets are like 12, 13 games in the season. We're only six games in. This is going to be the storyline the next 11 weeks of football. And it's terrible because you could really see them go 0-16. They could be that Cleveland team. They could be that Detroit team. Yeah, I think they're worse than that Detroit team. So yeah, right now they don't have Sam Darnold, who's dealing with an AC joint injury sprained AC joint. So they have Joe Flacco out there starting, who has not been very successful over his last 10 to 15 starts. He's only won two of them. So Flacco under 50% completion percentage, one interception, no touchdowns. Obviously they didn't score. Rashad Perriman did return to the lineup, was decent, four catches. Jamison Crowder led the team in receptions. No surprise. I really like what I see from young players in Brian Poole with an interception in this game. And then Marcus May, who we're going to show a clip of him now. I like to call this the butt catch, folks. And this was probably the Jets' best play of the season so far. Just goes to show you how bad it's been. He's going deep. There's a few different angles of this. That's probably the best one right there. That's a good one. Yeah, well, there's a couple in slow motion or slower like that. Yeah, this is the the ability to poise your body like that, stay still, know where the ball is, even though your eyes are in the complete opposite direction. And then to catch it back 
He did a full 360 with the football, started off in the front, ended off on his back, on his backside, rolled it around to the other arm, and then unbelievable. Well, um, and to say that's the highlight of the season is even more incredible. <laughs> he was able to box out Preston Williams really nicely. He did a good job positioning himself to intercept that pass, but um, bless Austin almost took it away from him. And I was actually kind of mad at him for doing that. He almost sl- smacked his ass. Yeah. He, he almost, he almost took it right off his back. Yeah. So, you know, that's nothing to be too proud about. And then, for me, the highlight of this game was Braden Mann with the 10 punts. You know, that, that, that man was busy. He probably pulled a hamstring after the eighth or ninth one. You know, even their, even their kicker, Sam Ficken, was missing kicks oh, yeah. as well. I mean, they just they had no success whatsoever from any you know, direction. And you look on the sidelines, and this team is just so sad. Adam Gase is sitting there reading. Uh, reading a chart that looks like a a menu when you go out to eat and it makes you say two things to yourself it's like you just had practice all week why are you reading it like you're just seeing it for the first time and then you see a clip of him sitting alone on the bench reading reading his plays yeah you're supposed to be this offensive genius this mastermind and it looks like you can't even remember your own plays that you're running out there Oh, it's sad. I'll tell you right now, it's not something you want to be a part of. I mean. And what's even sadder, this is the saddest part, is that I think this guy is going to be, you know, the coach of the year for the entirety of the season. You know, we're we're going to see this the next 10 weeks because if they wanted to fire the guy, you know, what's holding them from firing him now? Mm -hmm. Well, here's the difference between this year and last year. Last year, the Jets started one and six, and then they finished seven and nine somehow, some way. You're not going to see that this year, Jets. No, it's not happening. The schedule is just not. It's ridiculous. Good enough for the Jets. They got to play Kansas City in a few weeks. That's going to be an interesting one. Yeah, they play Buffalo this week and then Kansas City next week. So there's another two L's. You're sitting at 0 and 8. Um, but Ryan Fitzpatrick had a couple of turnovers in this game. He did have three touchdowns, though, and Tua Tagovailoa made his NFL debut. He went two for two for nine yards in, you know, garbage time, you you could say. But what really defines the story is just the energy and excitement he brought to the crowd, Kyle. And then this picture that I'm about to show everybody yeah, that really just sets the stage for what's to come. It was really heartwarming. It showed you, you know, not only the athlete, but the person within him and what he what he truly is for is that, you know, this is a guy back in 2018, 2019 that may not have even played another college game the, the way he had a season-ending injury to get drafted with a fifth overall pick, a team taking a chance on him in the first place with such a high draft pick and then getting the opportunity to start. I know he only threw two passes, but... It looked beautiful from what he was able to accomplish. The way he stepped back in the pocket, even the handoff to um, it wasn't it wasn't Miles Gaskin. I think it might have been Jordan Howard. But even the way you see, he's poised, he's calm, and he looks like a true NFL quarterback. And it shows right here in this picture just his appreciation from where he was to where he's now been able to get to. It's just it's unbelievable. I felt really good for him. A guy I felt really bad for. Ryan Fitzpatrick. I don't know if you read anything about, um, you know, how he felt 
about it. You know, really happy for two, obviously, but just really upset about the whole situation because he felt like it was his team. And in a sense, I understand that because at the end of the day, Ryan Fitzpatrick is the one that led this team to a three and three record in a, in a very tough yeah. AFC East. And he left them competing yeah. against a lot of teams. They lost to Buffalo by three points. They lost to Seattle, who's five and zero with an MVP candidate in Russell Wilson by a touchdown. Uh, they went to New England. They went to Foxborough week one, and they played them a tight game as well. Yeah. Listen, maybe the Jets, the NFL trade deadline is up, so maybe the Jets could reacquire Ryan Fitzpatrick. He's he might be in a he might be looking for a job right now. Well, I don't know. If there's any turning back now, if you're Miami, you have to go with the rookie. Oh the yeah, you sixth overall, the fifth overall pick in this year's draft. So yeah. it's great to see him back. He'll, uh, remember, Miami does have a bye this week in week seven, so he will make his official uh, first ever NFL start in week eight. You feel bad for Fitzpatrick. It's a guy who's pretty much had a journey across half the league. Uh, eight teams, yeah, yeah, and. Fitzpatrick kind of playing with a lot of nobodies. Adam Shaheen had a touchdown in this game. Devontae Parker is probably their most player of note, if you think about it. Um, he's that, made Mike Gusecki look really good, though. Yeah. He's, he's made him look really, really good as an established tight end. Miles Gaskin, another guy, they drafted him in the seventh round, but he's a really solid running back and a passing back as well. Emmanuel uh, Ogba. Yeah. Uh, Paris Axe. Uh, Christian Wilkins as well. Xavier Howard is now the first Dolphins player with at least one interception in four straight games since the 1970 merger. Fun fact. And now if you're the Jets, you're going in playing Buffalo, 13-point underdogs at home. Yeah. Well, home field advantage means nothing anymore unless you're one of the states then. But, I mean, that's – you know, Buffalo's angry. They lost two – Good games to really good teams. They're going to sadly beat up on this uh, Jets team. Buffalo looking to sweep the Jets for the first time in five years. So not a good sight. The Bills do have a couple of injuries heading into this game. Offensive lineman Cody Ford got carted off the field Sunday. He is week to week. Tight end Dawson Knox is questionable. And for the Jets, uh, it gets worse. Alex Lewis, probably their best lineman right now dealing with multiple shoulder issues. Sam Darnold, Mekhi Becton, we don't know if they're going to play. But if you're a Jets fan, there's still some good young players to watch, and one may make his NFL debut this week, and wide receiver Denzel Mims, second-round choice, making his NFL debut. So that is somewhat of a positive if you're a Jets fan, I guess, right? (laughs) Yeah, no, listen, he was their second-round draft choice. He was... Uh, they made a decision to not bring back Robbie Anderson, who was probably Sam Donald's best weapon in his three-year tender, um, and drafted this guy Denzel Mims out of Baylor. And hopefully he does have success. Obviously not a good start being injured already, but hopefully has some success with this Jets team. Speaking of success, let's get to the New York football Giants. They had some success on Sunday, and I think we're going to have a little fun right now. And I think this is our favorite segment of the show. Always is. For years and years and years, we just tend to butt heads with every little thing. 
when it comes to the Giants. And, you know, it didn't even feel like they won on Sunday, especially yeah. after the, the, the discussion I had with you. It, it was just the two of us going at it. There, there was nothing – there, there was nothing different about this week than the first five losses. Yeah. So the Giants won by one point, 20-19 against Washington. Uh, you know, Ron Rivera obviously deciding to go for two after the Sims touchdown. Was this the right or the wrong move by Coach Ron Rivera? I mean, a lot of people, you, you hear a lot of people in the media, you know, Ron Rivera addressing it himself saying, you know, I play to win football games. If I think we had the opportunity to win the football game, I'm going to go for it. And I love that as just a fan of football. But here's my thing. You were 0 for 2 on the two-point conversion all year round. This is going to be the worst division in NFL history this year. Again, uh, I think it was CBS Sports or Pro Football Focus announced that the Eagles have the highest percentage to win the division with a 6-9-1 and record. This is a game in which Washington could have won you know, very easily, granted, based on the offensive success in which they were having with Kyle Allen, because Kyle Allen had a great game. He had some costly plays, but he had a great game. And not taking that chance on your quarterback to go to overtime, when, you know, you just kick the extra point instead of going for two, I mean, you basically gift-wrapped a game to the New York Giants. I, I Listen, I appreciate the success and head coaching and determination to win in regulation, but when a division is this tight and you're tied with this team, have an opportunity to now two of your wins come against divisional opponents and they would be the number one seed right now. Yeah. You can't do that. You have to, you have to be safe, especially with the way the giants were performing offensively. Yeah. They were only on the football field. I I logged it for two, two and two minutes and 35 seconds in the fourth quarter. That's how long the giants offense was on the football field. And um, obviously after Washington missed the two-point attempt, Logan Ryan would then recover the onside kick with excellent fundamentals. I knew we would recover it because Joe Judge has such an insane emphasis on special teams, and they, they're pretty much studying those scenarios all week long. So yep. I wasn't shocked. Uh, it was the least he could do because he was the one who got burned by Sims on that touchdown. Yeah. So yeah, it was, it was, was the bad. least Logan Ryan could do, which starts to make me think, should the Giants experiment Julian Love as the second corner and push Logan back to the second safety next to Peppers? I mean, at this point, you might as well, because clearly it's not working. I mean, you have to go with what won you the, uh, is what has won you games or won you a game. I think you have to build some consistency there. You brought in Logan Ryan to be that veteran. You know, if they had faith in Julian Love throughout the regular, uh, to start the regular season off of that second corner, they would have given him the opportunity. They brought in Logan Ryan late because of what they saw from Julian Love and I guess necessarily didn't have the faith in him. Again, he's not a rookie. This is his second year now. Yeah. So for in his second year to, I guess, not winning the Giants over, signing a guy late who did have a lot of success, granted, last year with the Titans and has had success Super Bowl champion with the New England Patriots. Again, another familiar face. Because I believe Logan Ryan did start off with special teams when he got drafted by New England as well. Right. At Rutgers. But um, bringing in that guy late, uh, it shows me that he didn't have faith in Julian Love. Again, you won. Again, did he leave up a costly play? Absolutely. But you won the game with him at that starting position. I think you got to go with him at that starting position until it continues to falter and you don't see that same type of result 
uh, week in and week out. So I'm going to disagree a little bit. I think Love, I mean, maybe we're not even really disagreeing, but I think Love started the season at safety because of McKinney going down. Um, you know, and I just think they wanted him back there because there was nobody else that they really trusted other than him filling in as a starting safety, maybe. I mean, that's the way I tend to look at because who did they start? They started Ballantyne, right? So they, they had Ballantyne uh, playing him. safety for like two games, and then it was Lewis. just absolutely horrible. Yadam, Lewis. Lewis and Yadam have been horrible. I'd rather, I'd rather have Ryan over anybody else right now. I mean, you just saw we don't have Sean Chandler anymore because now he's with the Panthers off the practice squad. Yep. So they are in a really, really bad position now with safety. They are because if anyone gets hurt, you know who's coming in the game. Uh, I hate to see him play. Nate Ebner. Nate yep. Ebner should not play. He had to play a little bit of safety last week, I believe. He played some just got hurt. Yeah. got hurt. Why don't you bring up Chris Williamson? Why don't you promote another secondary player on your practice squad rather and just leave Nate Ebner on special teams. You have the room. You have yeah. the room because they didn't move Lorenzo Carter to IR until Monday. Yeah. Officially. So, and they, they just signed um, this week. They signed Trent Harris. Yeah. Outside former, linebacker. Former Patriot. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then they signed Jabal Sheard the other day. But uh, before we kind of get to that, let's go over the chronological the biggest plays of this game. So Washington Washington actually started off the game missing a field goal, and then the Giants would end up gaining 35 yards on their first two plays of the game. It was a nice 20-yard pass to Evan Ingram, and then Freeman had a good run. But other than that, that was only, Evan Ingram's really only notable catch of the game. Um, yeah, he only had two catches for 30 yards, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, one of them was the 21-yard catch on the first play of the game, which was a nice little play-action play where Jones ran out and threw it down the field to Ingram. Perfect play to start the game. And then Graham Gano kicks a field goal. Giants are up 3-0. Bradbury, beautiful interception off Kyle Allen. Then three plays later, we see the 23-yard strike from Jones to Slayton, where I really think Jones does a good job noticing the one-on-one at the bottom of the screen. And then bottom of the screen, uh, bottom of the formation. Yeah. And the safety bit, so Jones took his shot, and he kind of placed it in a ball where he used the hash really well. He threw it out where Slayton had to go run and get it to the point where he, if anyone was going to catch it, it would only be him. Yeah. So it was a great throw, a great execution, but it was only it was his only touchdown pass of the game. Giants are up 10 nothing. The teams would exchange field goals, so the Giants are up 13-3. to Then the second half comes along. Uh, no, it wasn't the second half. It was late second quarter. Kyle yeah. Allen anchors a 13-play drive, a touchdown pass to Logan Thomas. 13-10, to Washington's inching closer. Then the Giants respond with a 14-play drive of their own, holding over nine minutes long until Daniel Jones' red zone interception to Kyle Fuller. And, Kyle, this is where I bring you in here. Uh, Daniel Jones, it just seems that the red zone is the no-man zone for him. He, he just He's a different quarterback in the red zone than he is in between the 20s. Why is that? 
I mean, listen, I think it's 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 not only Daniel Jones uh, in the red zone. It's been the Giants as a team the last three, four years. Even with Eli, they just could not get in the end zone. No matter how many offensive weapons you had, for some reason you just could never, you know, connect with any of them. But with Daniel Jones, Tom, it's very, very concerning. I think this is a huge concern already, and I'm going to bring up this comparison. So Andrew Thomason, which we have not brought up yet, he got benched ultimately and he came out and said that he got benched because he was late for a meeting late for a meeting should be a slap on the wrist joe judge holds his players accountable i appreciate that but if you're a good player that's a slap on the wrist type of t- treatment the giants ran 46 plays on sunday and matt pert played 25 plus plays at that left tackle position your fourth overall pick has already been replaced and when that's a guy that joe judge i would have to assume had signed off on because he was the coach at the time when Dave Gettleman drafted him, I would have to assume the relationship between GM and coach are on the same level. When I see Daniel Jones throw 19 passes in a game, and granted, why this is huge, Daniel Jones going into this game, his lowest amount of pass attempts ever was 31. They basically cut the ball time in half because ultimately what it says to me is when this kid has the ball in his hands more, he causes more turnovers. And in his 19 attempts, he did have a pick. And what did you do? You resulted to Devontae Freeman, who you only acquired four weeks ago and only had really, this was his second quality start at the running back position. And you put the ball in his hands the same amount of times you put the ball in Daniel Jones's hands. Right. This shows to me, and on top of the fact they won, they won with that type of method. What this shows to me is if Joe Judge drafted a guy in Andrew Thomas and is willing to bench him for Matt Pert, who was their third round pick granted. Ultimately, Tom, I don't know how you feel, but Matt Pert, I expect to see it left tackle against the Eagles tomorrow night, just based on what he said. Yeah. Daniel Jones, guy in which he didn't draft. Yo, he might be one of those guys that doesn't see relationship because he wasn't one of his guys. And even a guy in which he drafted, you already said, you already see that doesn't matter. There's no relationship there. If you're going to perform on the football field, you're going to perform on the football field. And I'm not saying the Giants have a better option at backup quarterback, but I'm going to say this. If the Giants did not get this win on Sunday, I think there'd be a lot more pressure on Daniel Jones. I, I, 100%. I don't, I don't see it. And the reason why is because the Giants were winning in this game, and their offense is not built around throwing the football 30, 35 times anymore. The Giants have had to do it the first few games this year because they've been trailing a lot. I know the Dallas game, they were ahead. That game was back and forth. But, I mean, come on. Washington's not going to put up 30 points. And Jones was, let's give credit, Jones had a 49-yard run in this game. It was his best play. But the one play doesn't doesn't make up for the fact that he barely have above 50 completion percentage that he matter. only threw for 112 yards it doesn't matter that he threw a pick in the red zone well that the end matters zone. that matters but kyle just be, because you throw the ball 19 times doesn't mean your team doesn't trust you and you're a bad quarterback it just means the game plan is to run the football because that's what's working and but that's what I, Thomas, that's they weren't comfortable with andrew thomas and matt pert so maybe they're saying we're not comfortable in our two tackles going up against Montez Sweat and Chase Young, who, quite frankly, coming into the game, I think Montez Sweat had three sacks on the season. So through six through uh, five games, that's that's pretty good. 
But this is where this is where the point is proven wrong again. And how? How, how is it proven wrong? How is it proven you wrong? You're saying they that the team wide receivers. The team resulted. The team resorted because this is, this is why. Two this is why. Point. The Giants put up 13 offensive points against a team that the past four straight games to their opponents have given up an average of 32 points. They barely had the ball. They barely had the ball. The defense they barely had the ball. ball. This is this. You're not looking at it like that. The Giants barely had the ball in the fourth quarter because the quarterback couldn't keep them out on the field. That's the reason why they they're, they're losing time of possession. That's the reason. Not the why fact they're that losing Washington time had a 14 play drive. They had and a the 14 Giants play had a defensive touchdown. But you can't look at the one play. You can't look at the one drive in the fourth quarter. How about the fact that again? 30-plus points per game against opponents they're allowing up, 200-plus yards in passing, your quarterback finishes with half of that and is only able to throw one touchdown throughout the entirety of the game. Why and you might say, oh, the running was working. So you're saying Because you're saying the running works better. You're saying the running worked better, Tom? You want to break down Devonta Freeman's numbers? We look at 60 yards and we say, oh, my, thank God. 60 yards in 18 attempts, that equates to 3.3 yards per carry. It doesn't matter. That's Daniel horrible. It's 75 yards. That's the running horrible. game as a whole was working. We outrushed Washington. We did. Because they're, they're not that team. They're running with, they're running with Antonio Gibson, who's a third-round draft pick, J.D. McKissick, and they don't even use Peyton Barber anymore. Their situation's more messed up than the Giants. At least the Giants have an established guy in there. And the fact that this game even got to the point where there was a legitimate argument that the Giants were going to lose this game because we both know. Listen, it's I'm going to ask you this question. This will, it is not because they did not trust Jones. That's where you're wrong. It's not, How can you, Tom, I'm not just talking about this season. Daniel Jones' career between last season and this season, his lowest amount of attempts was 31. When you cut that in half, when you cut that in half and you want to say success with the run game, I don't think they had any success whatsoever in terms of Devonta Freeman. Maybe Daniel Jones, again, numbers equated bigger because he had a 49-yard rush. The passing game, you cut his attempts in half because you're saying that you don't trust him with the ball because he's going to turn it over, which we know we can't argue that that's not the case because we've seen when he attempts 31-plus times a game, which he has in the past and he did this season. What is the average going into this game, Tom? Learn. You going into this game, he risk. was averaging two turnovers. He okay. was averaging two turnovers so, per game. Let's put this into perspective. He's averaging two turnovers a game, and we know that's his biggest issue. And that, that quite frankly, is the team's biggest issue. They what does it say when your team is holding your attempts? Turnovers, turnovers aren't just the quarterback's fault. Turnovers are a team's fault as well at times. You have to look at it that way because the offensive line, right, before this week, before this week, and look, I'm not defending him for the interception this week. Before this week, they allowed 99 pressures through five games. And majority of Giants fans I've spoken to, including license plate guy, the, the offensive line is the primary problem of the offense before Daniel Jones. It really is. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring up a prime example right here because here, here, this is the best one. It's actually in our own division. Carson Wentz, right? He turns the ball over a lot. He doesn't even have two starters on offense, yet he manages to throw touchdowns. Does he fumble the ball? Yes. Does he throw interceptions? Yes. But he still manages to throw for yardage, 
he still managed to have completion in the end zone, even with guys that he just met How for the first that time. A great example, because he's played with Doug Peterson for years, is where Daniel Jones has had five, six games with Jason Garrett, four of them with Eagles. Because the problem isn't the coaching. Close. The problem is not the coaching. The problem yeah. is, is that this guy you has not developed. Is the problem with Jason Garrett. Jason Garrett, I think, has been a bright spot. The problem is I don't think that the Giants have the talent out there. The Giants don't have it. Really I said at the minute that they signed, Golden Tate is not a number one receiver. He's a nice second, maybe third option. I hate They're to using, say it. either is Slayton. Slayton, Slayton is a second option. One. He's not a first option. He's not. You might say that, Tom, you don't need an elite receiver, but that doesn't mean it's not nice to have one. Can you imagine if the Giants had an elite receiver with Daniel Jones? Maybe his success would be they don't better. Need an elite receiver. They need another tackle, and they need a tight end. They need a tight end that is not named Evan Ingram that you could rely more on that can get you five, six, seven catches a game. Back to they my Carson Wentz. Back Ingram. to my Carson Wentz uh, analogy uh, uh, example. Carson Wentz has been sacked twenty six times this season. Most of any quarterback, Daniel Jones, seventeen. That's almost ten more. Daniel Jones has more turnovers than him a lower completion percentage, no starters whatsoever, and yet they've managed to compete in every single game. They competed against Baltimore right down to the Carson line. Wentz they is com- a better quarterback. The argument here is not Daniel Jones. The no, but the argument is that the argument is that the situation that he's in, the argument, no, the argument is that he's in a bad situation, and that's why he has, isn't having success. Other quarterbacks are in worse situations, but they've had success. And the argument is that, oh, Carson Wentz is a better quarterback. Yes, he's a better quarterback. That's hands down. That's already known. But how much more does Daniel Jones need? How much more time do the Giants have to say, you got to remember, this is year two. This is huge. Sophomore slumps do exist, but he is a main contribution. And again, if they lost that game, if Ron Rivera, like you said, if he completes that two-point conversion, if Mr. Irrelevant... Who, Tom, you said on Big Blue Avenue, you didn't even want to see take the field at the linebacker position. He's the reason why they won the game. If that does not happen. He's not the reason why they won. It's Kyler Fackrell for getting the pressure and stripping the ball. But, okay, that play so, doesn't happen without Kyler Fackrell. If you if you if you really want to go that if route, you're if you're Kate in Carter doesn't score without the defense. It was line turned pressure. over on the fifty. Is Daniel Jones going to lead him into the? Is Daniel Jones going to lead him into the end zone? No. He's not. You're going to kick a field goal. How do you know that? How do you know that? It's happened every single game this season. It's happened every single game this season. Actually, it's not going to be the case anymore. Look, I believe in Daniel Jones. And look, I actually said it. If they lose to Washington, they should bench him, not because he's not the guy, because he needs to look at somebody else and how they carry themselves who has that uh, veteran. Who's he going to look at? Colt McCoy? Who's he going to look at? For, for a few drives, yeah. He should have looked more behind Eli Manning last year. But you were like, oh, I'm happy he's in after two games. I No, I was angry because they traded their best a perennial receiver so that Eli Manning could play two games. And then you let Daniel Jones out there to dry with nothing, essentially. Darius Slayton wasn't there. Golden Tate, it was his first year. Sterling Shepard, I believe, was in concussion protocol. And you left the man out there to dry. That's why I was angry. Because if you're going to leave somebody out to dry, let the veteran at least take those hits in those I practices. Still, not your rookie. I still disagree with you about the, the, the stats with the 120 yards and then the 19 pass. But that's an argument we're going to have to continue another day. Let's get to the defense 
here. Actually, we got to talk about CJ Board, the concussion. That wasn't good. The Shazer Everett hit him. He had to leave the game due to an injury. Putting the Giants down to three wide receivers, really two and a half if you count Slayton's injury at that point. And that could be another reason why they were running the ball a lot, thinking about it. Austin Mack and Golden Tate, not very reliable at this point. I know Tate made one really good third down catch. But other than that, you're down to him and Evan Ingram. So quite frankly, it was probably a really good thing that the Giants did get that defensive touchdown because they really needed it. Look yeah, who that's showed what the up. Game. Blake the offense Martinez. can't put numbers. The offense Four can't produce. Tackles for Blake Martinez. Logan Ryan, eight tackles, one sack, one pass defended. Tay Crowder, 10 tackles and a fumble. Uh, recovery returned for a touchdown, but he's now on short-term IR. Proves to my point why they should have kept Ryan Connolly because Devontae Downs is atrocious. Okay, uh, Leonard Williams with another sack. I think he's been really good. You have Fackrell with four sacks, Leonard Williams with three. I think Dave Gettleman is starting to show something with that trade for the Jets, and he's finally starting. Stats matter. Stats matter. Remember, it's, it's not just stats. Leonard Williams. Leonard Williams, when he was acquired, it was one of the. It could have gone down as one of the worst trades ever because why he was a man of quiet stats. But nobody's complaining about it now because the man is tied for first on our team with sacks. Nobody's complaining about it because he's not, he has ninety second actually. Oh wait, no, oh, wait, it's four. Uh, Nobody has four. It's tied for three. Fackrell has three. Yeah, you're right. Fackrell has three. But for me, it's not just the stats, and you know that. Have you seen the way he's carried him? Have you seen how scary he is and how good he is at stopping the run as well? Tom, if he had a bunch of QB pressures and good at stopping the run, people were still going to say it's an awful trade. But at least now that he's getting to the quarterback, which he once was at USC, which he was back in his earlier rookie years as a Jet, people are now okay with it. Yeah. They're okay with it now because he's producing one of the biggest numbers that a defensive lineman should be producing, and which he wasn't at the time when they gave up so much draft capital to get this guy in the first place. Right, but I always thought it was a good move because they needed somebody that could get to no, the last year. He never thought it was a good move. What do you mean? We never, ever. The guy hadn't recorded a sack in two years. It oh, was last, an awful last move. Year, last, last year, it wasn't a good move, a good move. but now in hindsight – Looking at it, it might be. Because he could get to the quarterback now, and maybe it's Patrick Graham's system. But again, it's because he's sacking the quarterback. He could get he get 100 QB pressures. People care about the stats that they see in the stat column, and that's true because that's what essentially matters. People nowadays care about stats a little bit too much. It's more than that. I remember football. Just, football used to be played without stats, and I, I think stats and media just ruined everything. But, because you could you could throw for five touchdowns and have a hundred yard game, but now a hundred yard game that, that looks like you either got pulled or you got hurt. Numbers on a piece of paper and calls for your head. That's exactly modern day football. Because he hasn't looked good all year. Has Daniel Jones looked good in any single game? Forget about the one run. Has he looked good from minute one to minute sixty of a football game? Has he looked good? He looked pretty good in the Pittsburgh game. I'll give him that. You can't say he didn't. Garbage time football. He threw a touchdown to Darius Slayton. What are you talking about? The Giants led in the first half of that game. The Giants, they led in the first half, and then they got absolutely uh, another, what, 15, 16-play drive that ended in a red zone pick, end zone pick? 
This is not going to get anywhere because uh, we have to act like we lost when when we won. Sometimes talking about the Giants because, quite frankly, the Giants have done a lot of losing the last uh, few years now. And Kyle, it's funny. Washington outgained the Giants three hundred thirty-seven to two hundred and forty, but the Giants only allowed one sack. Their line was a lot better this week in the limited opportunities they had out there. 19 times to protect, they gave up five pressures. Speaking of which, that isn't still great. Uh, Also, another crazy stat, um, there's three players on their teams that lead in rushing and passing. Lamar Jackson, Cam Newton, and Daniel Jones. Again, stats on a piece of paper. Stats don't tell the whole story because people still aren't sold on Daniel Jones, but those, those are stats right there and they don't lie technically. So I'd rather have passing quarterback, <laughs> a, a passing quarterback. You play to throw the football. You could run the ball for 49 yards all you want. If you're not throwing touchdown passes, then there's gotta be somebody else that can, because you're the quarterback. You are the quarterback of this team. They rely on you to produce. Look, he threw 24 through 12 games last year though. So we know that he is capable of doing this. He is capable. And that's why it's scary because in year two, he's abysmal. He he looks terrible. And look, I don't disagree with you, but I disagree in the fact that he is the ultimate reason why they're one in five. He's not the ultimate reason why they're one in five, but he's a major contribution in a lot of these games. I say he's third on the list. No, he's fourth for for me. No, he's he's, fourth. he's number two. The offensive line always stays he's one. Two. He's number two. The line, right? Is one, and then Daniel Jones on it's, two for me. No, for two, it's the scheme. For two, it's the scheme. I can't because, blame the scheme because they don't have any weapons. I mean, you, ha- you have to adapt somehow when you don't have Barkley and Shepard. That's what's weird. You adapt by taking the football out of your quarterback's hands and you give it to the guy you just picked up two weeks ago. What I don't see what's so horrible about that, though. What's horrible is that you took the football out of his hands because you knew he was going to turn over, and you gave it to a guy even when he only averaged three yards per carry because you didn't want your quarterback holding the football. Because the Giants are a running team, and they were trailing You're a, a running lot team. the first You're a running team. That's why they had to throw more. You're a running team with Saquon Barkley. You're not a running team with Devonta Freeman. You right. will throw the football. So, You're not a running team. Preview week seven against Philadelphia. Still disagree with you, by the way. Um, Sterling Shepard, eligible to return off IR. He is questionable, probably will play. CJ Board is out. Tay Crowder is out. We'll miss the next three weeks. Who starts for him? I'd imagine it's David Mayo or Cam Brown. Yeah. One of, one of those two, probably Dave. Um, the Giants signed Jabal Sheard, a guy with 51 and a half career sacks. Eagles wide receiver Deshaun Jackson will play after missing three games, and Lane Johnson will return with his ankle injury. Still not 100%, but the Eagles will be without Alshon Jeffrey, Zach Ertz, Miles Sanders, Malik Jackson, and Jack Driscoll, who was carted off with an ankle injury. So Philadelphia, despite getting Johnson and Jackson, a lot of guys are still out. Uh, let's, let's predict this game here quick before we bring up Gabe. And why don't we start with you? I mean, I picked Philly in our quick picks. And, I mean, listen, if this doesn't speak numbers, Philly is four-point favorites. We're missing everybody. 
But uh, I have Philly in this game. Again, it's going to be low scoring. Um, I think Philly on the Giants, and I think Philly puts up, uh, let's say, 28 to, let's say, 13. Okay. Well, the Eagles still have a good amount of their defense intact besides Malik Jackson. Brandon Graham has five sacks on the season already. But something tells me that Joe Judge is going to go in there and find the way in his hometown. Uh, I'm not saying I'm confident that the Giants are going to score a lot of points. I think the defense is going to keep them around in the game. And we're finally going to see Jones make a play at the end when he needs to. Uh, My final score for this game, I do think the Giants get to 20. I think the Giants get to 20 points, and I think Philadelphia scores 17. Just uh, I think the defense does a really good job of containing them. So just to be a little different because we got to make it a little interesting sometimes. And uh, with that being said, we're going to bring up our guest, Gabe Flayton. Gabe, hello. Welcome. And congratulations. You have survived punishment again this week. Thanks. Thank you, Tom. I appreciate that. Um, happy to be here. I don't know how I escaped it this week. Um, I, I've, I've been picking. Because so- of me, Gabe. That's how you escaped it. Because <laughs> of me. Yeah, I think we all had one of our worst weeks this week. Oh, yeah, this was terrible. It was a horrible week. I got to ask you, how's your mouth? Dude, it was bleeding like crazy the entire night. And then after my show, still bleeding uh, for the next like half hour to 45 minutes. I cut my lip. It's like barely even noticeable now. But I was it, that was one of the weirdest podcasts I've ever had to do with a uh, bleeding mouth the entire time. definitely a hassle for sure so uh, let's um you know what let's actually show the graphic or we'll uh you know what we'll actually wait on that let's get let's go over some of the games chicago beat carolina in carolina and the bears are now three and oh on the road for the first time since 2006 I thought that was a very impressive win, and three of us actually picked that upset to happen. You, myself, and James. You guys said be different. I should have did it. I should have just went for four. The the Panthers should have won that game, really. I mean, if you look at the, the offense in that one for Chicago, they put up hardly any yards. Uh, they haven't had a rushing touchdown. They've had just two rushing touchdowns all season, They've gotten their offensive line was absolutely awful in this game. Um, Chicago just finds ways to win. Yeah, you know it seems. Uh, I don't know if Nick Foles is the is the second coming, but uh, look, if it works, it works. And we all picked the Bears. We all got the win. Let's show the sheet. All right, and then let's see. Next game we're going to talk about is. Cincinnati, I believe, Cincinnati and Indianapolis. Uh, we all swept that. The Colts' first win since trailing by 21-plus since 2003. How did Cincinnati blow this lead? Rookie quarterback. The rookie quarterback. They got him up late. I mean, they got him up early. Yeah. And then they just weren't able to close out. And that's, you know, Joe Burrow, I mean, he's he's already a stud. He's really, really good. And they've gave him a surplus of weapons to work around. He has one of the worst offensive lines in football as well. But with Joe Mixon, Tyler Boyd, uh, A.J. Green, 
he's going to be fine for the long haul. The defense needs to improve tremendously, though, but that's really where they fell apart. A veteran taking over in Phillip Rivers, which was really surprising in a sense because this was one of his best games in a very, very long time. You know, this is this looked more like the old Phillip Rivers rather than the uh, the Phillip Rivers of last year and the Phillip Rivers even of this year. I mean, just shattered the stat sheet. 371 yards, three touchdowns, did throw a pick, but just an incredible game. Yeah, game. Um, actually, I want to ask you about Detroit and DeAndre Swift. First rookie with 100-plus rushing yards and two touchdowns since 1989. I'm assuming we all know who did that. Barry Sanders. Uh, <laughs> and I asked you this last night on uh, the North Pole about Matt Patricia saving his job, but do you think this is more of Detroit, now that I sit here and think about it more, you and I both picked Detroit in this game. I had a feeling they would win. Their whole offense is finally healthy and together with Hawkinson, Galladay, Swift. How how impressed were you by them? Should you know teams like the Packers and Bears be a little afraid of a run here, or is Detroit just your – Typical Detroit beating up on a team that's worse than them. It's it's a combination of that. It's they've been beating up on almost every defense they've played this year. They've had spurts where they've gotten their points. They've been winning in almost every game this year. I actually think they've been winning in every single one. Yeah. Uh, so when they go up, you know, early fourteen nothing in this game or whatever it was, everybody wasn't just. They didn't think the game was was settled right there. The Lions have blown every two touchdowns they've had this year. But this game was different because their defense uh, didn't blow it for their offense. Their defense created turnovers. They had two picks in this game. And Deron Harmon is playing awesome football at safety. They have their pass rush finally coming together. Their their 3-4 defense has been soft all season i i matt patricia for a guy who has a really under below average personnel you'd expect him to be more aggressive and that's what the vikings did when they went against russell wilson uh russell wilson if it was just four men rush every time he's gonna have a field day but what the vikings did was they sent guys at him and that's what detroit did finally they sent a lot of pressure in this game and they got a pass rush going so I agree. I think they're a team right now that was desperate for a win. We look at Baltimore at Philadelphia. Uh, fun fact, did you guys know Baltimore has scored in every quarter this season through six games? What is, every crazy. game they've scored in every quarter? Is that yeah. to clarify? Yeah. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. yeah. Um, I picked Baltimore as my lock. They've been pretty good to me when I haven't picked somebody who's playing the Jets. Uh, wink, wink. Uh, and then we got Cleveland at Pittsburgh. Uh, the Steelers win 38-7. to Only the second time in franchise history they've started 5-0. Gabe, you went hot taking the Browns. Uh, your boy Kevin Stefanski couldn't pull off the upset. But is Cleveland for real, or are they just playing Joker here? That's a great point. The Steelers are now officially good. I think we know that. Their defense is legit. That That is a great defense. And the Browns, maybe it's been a product of playing subpar defenses. I mean, the Colts, they played them without Darius Leonard, 
and Xavier Rhodes isn't playing like he had been in the first couple weeks. So I don't know if Cleveland is battle-tested enough. Baker Mayfield certainly has not won enough meaningful games in his career. So Baker Mayfield, I think, is still, uh, don't be fooled. Baker Mayfield is not the reason they have gotten to this start. It's their running game and it's their defense. Uh, I think Pittsburgh is really well-rounded right now. That's a tough team to go against. And uh, when Cleveland loses, it's ugly. I don't get it. When they win, it's pretty. When they lose, it's ugly. They lost to Baltimore like that in week one as well. And that was uh, their start to the season. Yeah. But Baker also went down with a rib injury in this game, right? Yeah, and Landry was banged up too. Yeah. Um, and then Gabe, your your Vikings. We all took them. We all missed. Over what four. is happening, man? I think Minnesota. They are. You can't trust Minnesota. You just can't trust them. I know. I got to stop picking them. They keep on killing they, me. They aren't the Minnesota of last year, and it's hard to believe that because usually when you see a team that was so good last year, you assume that they'll be remotely as good as they were the year before. They are not even the same franchise a year later. They are I, I look at them and I don't see I, I see just random people out there. It doesn't look doesn't look good. And uh I hate how they wear the same numbers as former Vikings because I see guys in like these new numbers and and I, I keep thinking to myself, Oh, they'll be as good as the one before. Nope, none of them are. It's sad. Yeah. I gotta Gabe, I gotta ask this. With the exception of this game why don't they ever use their tight ends? They never – Kyle Rudolph is a guy who quietly is just on that team but doesn't do anything anymore. You saw it last season. You saw it the season prior. Now you're seeing it this season. They drafted Irv Smith out of Alabama, who's supposed to be that stud, and now they're just starting to use him a little bit. Justin Jefferson, you're very lucky Philadelphia didn't take him. Justin Jefferson's unbelievable. And you see Adam Thielen, of course, working into the mix. But against Atlanta's defense, you have Kirk Cousins throwing three interceptions. What? What is that? What yeah. is that? And, and it's funny you mentioned that. They're, they don't have a wide receiver three. Chad Beebe is a practice squad player at best. And Ola B.C. Johnson was a seventh-round pick a year ago who is not a, a wide receiver three. They, they signed T.J. Sharp in the offseason, who was the Titans wide receiver two or three last year. He hasn't played more than one game this year. So I'm a little confused. As for the tight ends, I agree that they don't get them involved enough, especially in a, in a power offense where you use a fullback and two tight end sets. It, you should be expecting more five-yard throws to your tight ends, kind of like what the Packers did with Robert Tanyan with the play-action bootleg, getting him out in the flat. Rudolph cannot move in the flat. He will not outrun anybody. Rudolph is one of the worst separation guys in the league he doesn't get off of his defender he's very slow and that's why you don't see him in between the 20s as for Irv Smith Irv Smith is our wide receiver three and he is a tight end that's an issue with me because he's still not as fast as a receiver so he's doing what our a normal wide receiver would try to be doing and Irv Smith finally is getting the ball but that's not a permanent offense. It, they need to change something. No, yeah, that's that's a good point. And then we have Houston at Tennessee, the Titans winning in overtime. Genius 12-men penalty taken by Mike Vrabel in Tennessee. 5-0 start, second time in team history since 2008. Of course, the historic 94-yard touchdown rush by Derrick Henry, who finished with 212 yards. 
And uh, right now it looks like Henry is, uh, again, he's the best running back in football that has not gotten hurt this year. Uh, He is the best running back in football probably. He's the best true running back in football. Yeah. Because he's not a pass catcher. You saw him use him a little bit in the pass catch last week, but he's just – and nobody's built like him. Like Nobody's built like Derrick Henry. He's built like a truck. He has the the stance that he could probably be a lineman – yeah, he's like six three. Yeah, have you guys ever seen the uh, the photo of him standing next to Deion Lewis when Deion Lewis was on the team last year? <laughs> yeah, I do. Or that picture at Alabama where he's standing next to Mark Ingram. I mean, it's just he just doesn't look human. He's just unbelievable. He's a force to be reckoned with, and he tosses players around, defenders around like nothing. It's going to yeah. be interesting. Taylor Lee Lee-Wan's, uh injury is going to hurt them a little yeah, bit. Yeah, Taylor Lewan is going to hurt tremendously yeah. at the tackle position. Yeah, and they uh, all they have now is Dennis Kelly because they lost Jack Conklin in the offseason. But, um, you know, it's crazy. I mean, I, I'll, I'll be honest with you guys. I, I do think Henry is because the, the way defenses just fear him more than any other running back in this league because you just can't tackle the man. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you know, you, I mean, you have your Barclays, McCaffreys, and Camaras and Cooks, but – I think Henry is the most feared running back, even putting those other four into the equation um, because he can single-handedly wear you down and be the reason why you lose a football game. Uh, Green Bay at Tampa Bay. uh, We all missed on this. And I'll be honest with you. I was really close. I I had Tampa Bay earlier in the week, but then I saw everybody else starting to pick Green Bay and I kind of doubted myself. Um, and then I started looking more into it and then I'm like, Tampa Bay's not hundred percent healthy. Um, you know, they'll have Godwin back, but the reason why I, I originally put Tampa Bay is Brady coming off a loss throughout his career doesn't lose. But then I, for, I you know, I put into consider into consideration his teammates are Tampa Bay Buccaneers now, not New England Patriots. So, and then they still found the way Ronald Jones, a hundred yards in three straight games. It's insane what he was able to do against Green Bay. Uh, you know, Kenny Clark, Dean Lowry, Tyler Lancaster, no, nowhere to be found on Sunday. No, nowhere. So, you know, now we look at Tampa Bay and say, yeah, they're probably a, a, leg- a legit team. That's probably one of the key takeaways from week six, guys. Their defense is really, really underrated, obviously, up until this game. We, we knew they had a lot of studs on defense, but they, I mean – to get Aaron Rodgers to throw one pick is one thing, but to get him to do it twice, I mean, that's something else. Uh, again, Brady didn't, uh, even though he did have two touchdowns, only 166 yards, it was really Ronald Jones who carried the load on offense. Mike Evans, I don't even think, had three receptions in this game. But it was nice to see the tandem of Rob Gronkowski and Tom Brady back again. That was that was something interesting to watch. But, yeah, this Tampa team is going to be there. Uh, again, it might have taken a few weeks just to get developed and build some chemistry because there's a lot of new faces on this team. But they're going to be there. This is an impressive win. I, I want to just add to that. Uh, Tom Brady didn't get sacked a single time in this game. Yeah. And the Packers defense is very weak on the interior. And uh, I want to blame Matt LaFleur a little bit in this one. I don't think he prepped Aaron Rodgers in that offense well. Uh, you knew you knew coming into this game, and the Bears did that, made the same mistake. You know how well this team is at stopping the run, but both 
teams, they just aborted the run altogether. That's not a recipe to beat the Buccaneers is just aborting the run and yeah. going pass, pass, pass. Aaron Rodgers is a guy who is completely reliant upon Aaron Jones being successful. You don't have Aaron Rodgers lighting it up without Aaron Jones also getting success as well. Right. Tampa also committed zero penalties in this game too, which was huge. Discipline. I think that's the biggest thing, guys. They have the talent, but do they have the discipline to win football games? They didn't have the discipline against Chicago. Now, this week, they had it against Green Bay. So I think that is a big part of their recipe for success because if they want to win that NFC South, remember, they're going to have to beat out the New Orleans Saints and, you know, the Carolina Panthers are not uh, a knock this year either. So, you know, they have some competition. Uh, we'll skim through the next three and then highlight the final one here. Uh, so the Rams beat the 49ers on the road. Uh, I'm sorry, the 49ers beat the Rams at home. Jimmy G now 7-1 and one in primetime games. Probably showing that the 49ers are still going to compete even with all their defensive guys out. Uh, the Broncos, surprise New England, we all missed on those two games. Uh, first road win for Denver. Uh, at New England since the Jake Plummer days in 2006. <laughs> Just goes to show you how long ago that was. And then the Cardinals blowing out the Cowgirls 38-10. to 10. Uh, Dallas has now given up 30-plus points in five straight games. Yes, that does include the Giants' offense, Kyle. They're the worst defense in the modern-day-and-age football era with 218 points to the first six weeks of football. No team in the modern age – I think – 1960 was the last time a defense had given up that many points through six weeks of football. That's what it took for the Giants to compete in a football game. The worst defense of all time. And me and Gabe picked them. But, uh, you know, you know, you know what? I had a feeling Arizona would win. I mean, I wanted them to win, but I figured why not pick the Cowboys, you know, riding uh, Dak and the momentum with that injury, trying to play for him. It just didn't, the cards didn't fall into place. And uh, Gabe, the Chiefs beat the Bills 26 to 17. You were the lone man taking Buffalo, the Chiefs 245 rushing yards, their most as a team in eight years. But yet you survived. You survived. Um, I want to talk about this Chiefs Bills game for another minute. What is going on with uh, Josh Allen? Do you think he just run in some heavy competition in the last couple of weeks, or what? Like, is Buffalo for real? Are they are they a contender, or are they just uh, you know competing for the AFC East here? Like, what are they? I think you wanted to see them play. Oh, sorry, Gabe, you go. My bad. No, go Kyle. You got it. I think that you wanted to see them play against some legitimate competition, considering that they did start off the season against the Jets, then they played Miami. They played the Rams, who are, you know, they're okay. They're not the same Rams team. And then they played Vegas. So you look at all those teams, and the thing with all these teams is that a lot of these games could have gone either way. They only beat Miami by three. They only beat the Rams by three. They beat Vegas by a touchdown. They beat the Jets, even the Jets, only by 10 points. They got smacked around by Tennessee after Tennessee hadn't had a practice in like two weeks, and they got absolutely obliterated. And then they play at home against Kansas City. Yes, it's Kansas City. But Josh Allen couldn't get anything going. I don't know if it was because of the weather or not, but he's used to playing in bad weather. You've been playing in Buffalo now the last couple of years. That shouldn't be an excuse. 
Uh, the reason why they lost that game too was the defense just could not stop Clyde Edwards-Helaire. I mean, they just, that was that was just the problem all night. They just could not stop the run, and they couldn't get a run game of themselves going either. That was really the big reason, aside from Josh Allen. Uh, but it is definitely you know scary, considering that this is a team who you know people were saying Josh Allen MVP. We're saying that was a team that was going to win the AFC East and potentially be the best suitors to play the Kansas City Chiefs. And through two weeks of competition against legitimate football teams, they don't look like that team. They just don't look like that. Yeah. yeah. I want to see more out of the run game. Uh, Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs is a beautiful connection. But if you can't get running game, the running game going, and especially Zach Moss uh, looks sometimes better than Devin Singletary. I don't yeah. know why. They just don't give the rock to Zach Moss. Give the start to Zach Moss. I feel like Devin Singletary is ceilings is lower than Zach Moss. So I think uh, both are great. I mean, they should be running the ball much better. Uh, and that would open up the deep ball with Stephon Diggs so much more. Yeah. All good points. I think Buffalo right now has that problem where their offense is still a little inconsistent. And against these, you know, better defenses, they're going to struggle a little bit. I do agree. We'd like to see more out of the running game, but uh, they have a good matchup against the Jets to get back on track this week in week seven. Uh, to bounce so back. Through week six, everyone hit their lock and upset except for Kyle. Through six weeks, I am the only person to hit every single lock. So I still have not missed the lock. Um, Way to be different, Kyle. Way got, to be different. It's just the formula. You're, you're a system player. So <laughs> there are three unbeatens left in the league. And, you know, a lot of guys have been put on COVID-19 IR. And the, probably the biggest name is Joey Sly. Uh, starting kicker for the Carolina Panthers. So now they're in a situation where they have to sign somebody. And for me, I have them on both my fantasy teams. So it stinks because Rodrigo Blankenship is on a bye. So I I picked up Sly this week, might as well, right? And he gets put on COVID-19. Well, there's 32 kickers out there. You'll find one. There there sure is, and there's only 10 of us So (laughs) in that league. Anyway, some of the week seven key matchups we have – the Lions at the Falcons, the Browns at the Bengals should be fun. I know they already played once this year. That was a good game. The Packers at the Texans, Panthers at the Saints, that should be nice. And then one game that I, I really think could go either way is Seattle at Arizona because yeah. Arizona looks impressive, and they could catch Seattle on, on the road, guys. I, I always hate to – it's hard to say like the favored team is going to win in a divisional matchup, especially on the road. I think this could be a week where we see no more unbeatens left in the NFC. Seattle's gone. I mean, it could very well be Arizona's game this week. I mean, I still think the Seahawks, I'm going to pick the Seahawks to win, but Arizona, they, they got something brewing out there. I mean, they very well could be, but again, going into that Dallas game where the defense really just looked monstrous, yeah. They only had one interception on the entire year. You got to remember they lost Chandler Jones for the year, which is like their main defensive player, their sack guy. I think he had 19 and a half last year. Yeah. They're missing that. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott's like two or three fumbles didn't really help, you know, Cowboys case, but it helped the defense's case, the interceptions as well, the sacks as well with playing with a decimated offensive line and a new quarterback and a new system. But against Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll, I, I don't see that type of production coming from the defense. Now, Kyler Murray, I expect to step up huge because Seattle's defense is awful. 
Yeah. yeah. I just want to add to that. Um, Kyler Murray, if he is not turning the ball over and Kenyon Drake and Chase Edmonds are controlling the tempo of the game, similar to what Dalvin Cook did to, to the uh, Seahawks time of possession and you're not turning the ball over, you have it. The, if the Vikings didn't turn the ball over like they did and just give the Seahawks walks into the end zone basically on offense, that would, would have been a Viking win. You got you to gotta play almost a perfect game to beat the Seahawks. Yeah. Yeah, and then we have other good games this week too. 49ers at New England. That's going to be fun. Tampa Bay at Vegas. That's not an easy one for Tampa. The game of the week, in my opinion, is Pittsburgh at Tennessee. Two unbeatens. Uh, Tomlin against Vrabel, in my opinion, they're two of the top three head coaches in the league right now outside of Belichick. Um, that's that's going to be really tough for me to pick because Tennessee is home, but that doesn't mean much, uh, even, in a re- even in your typical regular season. I, I personally have a gut feeling the Titans are going to find a way to win, but Pittsburgh is very scary. They're impressive on both sides of the ball. I'm looking forward to seeing who you guys take in this game. I think we're going to have a, a lot of mixed uh, takes here. And then, of course, we have the Bears with the Rams, another good one, two uh, five-win teams. I'm sorry, the Rams are a four-win team, which it's crazy. Everyone loves the Rams this year, but they're 4-2, and 4-0 against the NFC East, 0-2 against their other two games. Just keep that in the back of your mind before picking that game. Uh, and then the Bears are undefeated on the road, and then, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Those last two games, man, Steelers, Titans, Bears, Rams, those are going to be awesome. I mean, that, that Rams game should show you if Nick Foles can really be that guy under pressure because that defense, I mean, running into Aaron Donald all night, especially with the way that offensive line looks like for the Bears, I mean, that'll really show you. And then with the, um, and then with the Pittsburgh game, I picked Pittsburgh specifically just because Tennessee – in the past, they've had, like, zero success against Pittsburgh. Ever since that terrible towel incident, they've had, like, zero success <laughs> against them. They've had, like, they've had nothing. Yeah. And I think that, listen, you got to live and, and die with the fact that you're not going to be able to stop Derrick Henry. But if you could contain Ryan Tannehill at the quarterback position, especially now that Taylor Lewan is out, and that defense for Pittsburgh is monstrous, if you get to him, I think they'll be okay. No Devin Bush now for Pittsburgh. That's, that's true. That's torn ACL. That's true. That's a big injury, too. Thanks for bringing that up, Gabe. Uh, that slipped my mind. But, yeah, and as you take a look here, here is the graphic of the quick pick standings through six weeks in our respective places. I won this week, but not by much. Kyle lost due to the fact that he didn't hit on either the lock or the upset. So that's where how important that is, is Gabe uh, came in third. James came in second by one point, but those are the standings. It's very close, guys. Uh, James is ahead right now. Kyle and Gabe are one point away from each other in third. I'm in second, but this could all change because last week, me and Kyle were flip-flopped, actually. So now uh, heading into week seven, James James has not lost at all this year, and it just seems that James somehow finds a way to skate towards the top. Remember, he won Kyle, if I'm not mistaken, did you win he last, won last year? year? He, he won last year too. So. Yeah. Yeah. He, does, he does this all the time. It's insane. I'm looking, at, I'm looking at this right now. I'm beating Gabe in terms of wins by eight wins, and yet I'm only a point differential between you. I'm gonna you know, those locking upsets, man. I'm going to need James to start picking my parlays. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, you, 
Gabe, you just got to start picking James's parlays. That's 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 yeah. the success. That's yeah. that's the way to success. Um, before we sign off here tonight, we do have a quick announcement on behalf of Review and Preview. We are announcing the official launch of our YouTube page. Subscribe to us at Review and Preview Sports, where you can see all featured episodes and segments of the North Pole with Gabe Flayton. Big Blue Avenue with myself and Hank and Dichter and Review and Preview with James Montefusco, Kyle Russo, and myself, Tom Scavetta. Guys, I'm very excited to announce this, and we're going to have another official video announcing what it is and how people can you know, see our content. And it's going to be more than just shows. We're going to do some additional content now as well. So I'm really excited to get this up and running. We've been waiting to do this for like the past two years we finally put our heads to it and put it together. So I'm really proud of that. Should be fun. Definitely a new outlet to uh, reach. Yeah, so. I'm so so excited for that. Also, guys, remember, tune in tomorrow to Big Blue Avenue uh, at 6 p.m., a special time where myself and Hank and Victor will be interviewing journalist and co-host of the True Blue podcast, Mike Vivalo. He is uh, a co-host with LPG. So really Excited to have him on. That is 6 to 7.30 p.m., so make sure to tune into that. Gabe and Kyle, thank you very much for joining me tonight. Appreciate it. Absolutely. All right, guys. So on behalf of Review and Preview, we wish you all a good evening, and we'll see you next week.